the What I Watch Tonight show. Morning, afternoon or evening, wherever you are in the world and welcome to Death by Pod from what I watch tonight. And my name as always and still and will always will be Matt Hudson. Uh, we've got a new voice on the show going forward. Elizabeth's got an awful lot of cool stuff ahead of her uh, and I wish her all the luck in the world so good luck my friend. But now I can tell you something, something quite scary. It's terrifying just how cool my new co-host is. <laughs> multi-talented and a monster behind the mic and in the gym. My Introducing my new top man of a co-host. Terrell Graham. Uh, I write for my own website, uh, Terrell Graham Reviews, and I actually also have a YouTube channel where I can review films from time to time. He's also very modest, isn't he? he, he this man is busier than... I don't think I've met <laughs> anyone busier than this guy. He's not writing reviews or recording them. He is mixing and recording his own tunes. He's in the gym. He's gaming. <laughs> I don't know how he gets any time to sleep. Yeah, well, it kind of doesn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> Not anymore. I've seen, your Insta- I've seen your Instagram stories, and you're in the gym at about three in the morning. Yeah. Man. Just fitting it in wherever I can. Yeah, this man's an absolute monster. But would it be, uh, I've spoken of Terrell a few times on various shows, and what I can tell you, if, you haven't, if you're new to Terrell, firstly, you're missing a hell of a lot of t- tricks here, but secondly, the man knows his films and he's passionate about it. So I've got a feeling that uh, we're going to have a hell of a lot of good talk on these shows. Definitely. I'm excited. <laughs> Thank you. Well, on these monthly episodes, for those of you who are new to the show, Terrell and myself, we're going to pick one horror film from the decades of choice and we dive straight into it. So it's an excuse to turn out the lights once a month and hopefully scare ourselves stupid. But for this episode, in light of Halloween approaching, we've decided to pick out our top five horror movies and run down the lists uh, because we thought that would be slightly more in keeping with the season. So without any further, I think we should just dive straight into it. Um, so my number five is Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, the original one from 1974, <laughs> and I got like a really, I got a good like a good memory of this film from when I was younger. It's one of those films I watched when I was far too young, <laughs> and it kind of disturbed me quite a lot. Uh, <laughs> but it was it was also one of those things. I know they played up with that film that it was a true story and it was real. And being the age I was when I watched it, I must have been like around ten. I believed it was real, <laughs> <laughs> so that just got me in straight away. Um, but uh, I just love, obviously, iconic character in Leatherface, but there's one kill in that film that's just always stuck with me as, like, a horror film death, and I think it's the first one in the film, because it's the first time you see Leatherface, and it's when he pulls back that kind of door, and he, I think he's got a hammer in his hand, and he yes. just smacks the person on the head, and they drop to the floor, and they're like, they like start twitching and, like, convulsing on the floor. Yeah, and it's like, you you're just imagining the brain damage that that's just caused, and how the body's gone into shock, and that's just one of those things that's always stuck with me, just simply because of just the brutality of that and seeing that at such a young age. <laughs> but at the same time, it was that that got me on board. <laughs> Ten-year-old Terrell was messed up going forward. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. I remember that scene. And then you, got, then you got the meat hook scene as well, where he picks up the girl and well, she's dragged into the kitchen, hung up on the meat hook through her back. And then as she's screaming in pain, Leatherface <laughs> cuts her boyfriend's head off. 
it's just it's just cra- and I what I like to do with films that are that old now is just try and look at it from the perspective of when it came out and what people had seen up yes. until that point. And then this comes along and it's like, okay, <laughs> like, <laughs> like 1974. And it's like, yeah, it's one of the early, well, because before, yeah, it's before Halloween. When's Halloween? I can't remember when Halloween came I out. think it was. Yeah, so it's before all that and before Elm Street and all that. And it's just, boom, <laughs> guy with a chainsaw. <laughs> you have to, I think you have to t- uh, look at these films as if you are watching it in 1974 in the theatre. Yeah. Because you hear, I hear a lot of mm, people nowadays saying these films are tame thing is compared to what what we've seen nowadays and you know i think everybody's so used to seeing blood gore and it's and it's yeah, overblown in certain films now yeah that's the word desensitized i think that go you have to put yourself firstly in the shoes of the characters and also in the shoes of the people watching it in the 70s because when this came out yeah they hadn't seen anything just like this before nothing exactly it's just it's just such a crazy concept and then back then i'd imagine people believed it was real at the time as well and and there's even the second half of the film where it gets really bizarre with the rest of the family and there's kind of like an old man but who's basically a skeleton sat at the dinner table and it's all like, it's just very, very bizarre. Like, it, Ty Pooper's mad, I think. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> basically, there's just the film just descends into madness in the second half. Like it, You thought it was crazy in the first half and then the second half... Was... <laughs> I think he wanted it to be a PG rating, I think, to start with. <laughs> with the violence... In... I know, because, I mean, we have just mentioned two horribly gory scenes but uh, quite a lot of the violence i don't think it's actually that heavy all the way through on violence but when it is it is pretty gory but yeah, that's he wanted it to be more implied yeah because it's not i mean it is graphic because someone gets smacked across the head with a <laughs> thing but if that was done today you probably would see a gallons of blood hit yeah, the floor and brain this, seeping that, out. The other, yeah and all of that where it kind of wasn't and i think that's what made it work so effectively is it was just the the brute force of the the hit on the head the drop to the floor and then the twitching and the, the body reacting to that and it, it just sold it so much better did, did you just sit there at the time when you were the 10 year old Terrell would just sit there in shock convulsing <laughs> watching it yeah yeah and they're like wait i gotta see more of this what's, <laughs> what's it gonna do next <laughs> i like the idea that you didn't turn it off like most kids would you carried on <laughs> watching <laughs> oh, man. So i remember at the time actually that i um because I uh, must have got it, I'm sure like pocket money I got m- my parents to buy it or something. I don't know, I don't know how I ended up, because I ended up ha- with the box set of that and the remake. So I ended up watching those two like at the same time. And I remember the remake freaked me out quite a lot as well at the time, because once again, I thought it was real. <laughs> I actually think that's quite an underrated, oh, I haven't watched it in a long time, but I, from what I remember, I feel like it's quite an underrated remake. That I was original- going to ask you about the remake, because... It, I don't think it was too. Was it mid mid two thousands? Wasn't it? I think it came out. I think it was two thousand and three. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I saw that at the cinema, and it was fairly decent because, yeah, again, it was gory, but I don't think, if I remember rightly, I might be wrong here, but I don't think it went too over the top uh, as some horror films do. But I think it retained some of the originals kind of. Yeah, like intelligent. I mean, by gore. today's standards, it's still nowhere near the the level of violence. It's just that the. Whatever violence does occur is brutal, but it's brutal in its nature, not necessarily in how it's depicted. Yes. If that makes sense. Yeah, that's a that's uh, a perfect way of putting it. But now I've said that, I'm trying to think. I'm sure there's the, the meat hook scene. So I'm sure the guy gets chopped in like half and you see intestines flying out. I'm sure that does. <laughs> now that I've said that, I'm thinking, wait a minute. There is a moment I'm sure where intestines are just hanging out of this guy's body. I'm not. There goes my it. dinner. But yeah, <laughs> I think I, I, I seem to remember that, that meat hook scene because it's the, one of the iconic ones, I think that was played up more, where it's like the yeah. woman was more frantic and more panicky and sweating more, and, and probably had less yeah. clothes on. 
Because it it's a really grimy film, that remake. It's just, yes. It just look, looks like just dirty. Like, it makes you feel just... It, it was just yeah, I don't know how to even describe it. Just the, dirty. It's because of the color, the color palette, and then these characters are like, like drenched in mud and dirt, and this it just feels so horrible. <laughs> it's it's not a nice film to watch either of them, but it's got a hell of a. The ending of the original 1974 is another one of those classic horror scenes with uh, Leatherface just flinging his chainsaw around with, yeah, the, sun with the sunset. Him. Yeah, <laughs> it's just classic classic scene. Yeah, and actually, just on that, the whole film actually surprisingly is well acted for a film like this because horror films sometimes have the have the problem of bad acting with dispensable characters. But I thought it was quite well acted. This film, yeah, it's the, the intensity and the actors kind of perform that intensity pretty well. I thought, and it kind of, I think that's what kind of once again helps draw you into that scenario. Also, believing that it's real <laughs> and yeah. being fully drawn in with it. To be fair, though, it's, it doesn't seem like it does seem like something which probably could happen in some back backwater town somewhere and that's the thing like I, I just fully believed that when i was a kid i was like oh this has happened in texas and it kind of gave me this perception of texas that was really bad it was like <laughs> oh you never go to texas because <laughs> let's stay in bristol man. Houses out there yeah, <laughs> yeah. chainsaws and stuff this doesn't happen in the west country i'm telling you yeah <laughs> <laughs> at least i hope it doesn't anyway well i'm not going to work with the texas chainsaw massacre the first time i saw it was quite young as well and i remember it scared the hell out of me so i'm not gonna, i think a theme of most of these horror films or at least any horror film is most people see them young if you ask anybody what you know what do you remember seeing when you were a kid or what was your first film you saw 90 percent of them or 95 will say a horror film of some sort so i'm glad to know that you were also yeah, getting uh horror films fear. when you were 10 years yeah, old that's that's when i like started to indulge in the, the genre like there was night nine i still got the dvd boxes nightmare on elm street friday the 13th Texas Chainsaw. I had all those box sets. I was oh. just watching them religiously. At <laughs> Hellraiser. <laughs> yeah. Tero, he did grow up to be a normal guy. Yeah, that's the thing. People always think, oh, how, how are you so sane? Yeah. <laughs> it may bleed into his music somewhat, but he is a normal guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not going to argue that. For now, my, my number five, I've gone for something a bit more recent and maybe surprising to some people, but I've gone for The Conjuring. Uh, James, the day, James Wan and of course Vera Marfiga, Farmiga sorry, and Patrick Wilson starring in it this, can't, this crept into my number 5 because there, the, there were a few others which could have taken its place a couple of mentions, something like The Omen Martyrs, the original 2008 French film and also possibly surprising some The Strangers from a few years ago I think that's bloody brilliant but number 5 is The Conjuring, I thought this film it had a lot of hype when it came out I remember people were saying this, and it's become a tagline for new horror films, but it was, quote-unquote, the scariest film you're ever going to see. Now, I you go into a film watching that expecting to be terrified, and I've got to say, The Conjuring did a very good job of it. I like the fact that it used little to no CGI, so it relied on uh, atmosphere, the use of music and sound, some genuinely quite terrifying imagery. It was well acted, and it was short. It was only about an hour and a half, an hour and a half long, so it, they didn't have... For me, the issues that The Conjuring 2 had, where it was just a big, bloated two hours, 20 minutes long of exposition <laughs> and blah, blah, blah now. The Conjuring was short, tight, snappy. It had some terrifying imagery towards the end with the exorcism scene, which I thought was played at well. And I rewatched it recently within the last few months for this show and forgot just how, for me, effective it is as a very, very creepy horror film. I don't know about yourself, though, Tyrell. So yeah, I, I've been meaning to watch this film again for ages because I bought it on Blu-ray. I saw it at the cinema and then bought it on Blu-ray when it came out. Yeah. Um, 
and I I ne- never opened that Blu-ray until like a month ago when I was planning to watch it and never got round to it. Um, but I remember, I remember when in the cinema, I remember it didn't actually scare me. I think because I, I I remember walking out thinking I like James Wan and I can appreciate this film as a good film and it's it's made very well. But I don't think it really hit me that way. I don't know. But that's why I've always wanted to go back to watch it again. Just because I, I don't really remember a whole lot about it in all honesty. I remember parts of that final exorcism scene and parts of the beginning, but the middle is kind of a bit murky. But that's what makes it so exciting for me to go back and revisit because it'll feel like I'm watching a fresh film again. Yeah, I, for, and part of the purpose of this show is to educate myself, yourself, anyone listening. It might if it inspires you to go back and watch these films and hopefully enjoy them as much as we and I and Turo have then. Wicked. That's the, that's part of the plan of the show. But I had the same thing. I hadn't seen it for a few years until I rewatched it, and I and I turned the lights off and just forgot just how effective it is as a horror film. It's got some. It it just relies on the performances and little moments like the the clap game during it and things like that and the way that certain shots are framed where you know something's going to happen. But you, yeah, that's and but. At the same time, it doesn't quite happen as you think it's going to happen. So you've got a rickety old cupboard in the background. When you think, why is that in shot? You know something's going to happen, but it doesn't happen instantaneously. It's left for a little bit. And some ports scared the living hell out of me. So now that Terrell said it didn't scare him, I now sound like a complete wet. <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, it's, I, I had a great time with this and it felt like an old school horror throwback to me. That's what I did like about it, because it did feel like a kind of classic... It felt like a modern film that was still classic in its essence of how it was made. Yeah. And I, that's why I, I love... I've always said, like, in my opinion, like, James Wan is, like, the Wes Craven, John Carpenter of this time, with the way that he makes... Like, I know he's kind of... His, with the way his career is going now, he's kind of moved away from horror, and he's gone on to kind of action films, like Fast and Furious and Aquaman. I hope he can come back, instead of just producing them, but come back to the horror genre again because i feel like he's got so much that he does within that genre that he's like a true master of it and it would be it would upset me as a fan of the genre to not see him make a horror movie again because he's so good at it because like i said even if it doesn't necessarily scare me i enjoy just watching the filmmaking on display because he does do that he does it in a very unique way the way he frames his shots where you do know like, oh, something's going to happen here. Or something's a bit offbeat with this shot and what's going on. Where am I supposed to be looking? Maybe at dead center or, on, or to the side? And he kind of makes you a bit anxious with the way he frames things. And I think that's really effective what he does. And like you said, the, char- the characters in that film, they did feel very real. And I think that's what made that film work from a story storytelling perspective was just the realism of the characters and the relationships between them. I absolutely hear what you say about James Wan. I would be, like yourself, probably first in line to see whatever he had coming out next in horror film terms that he was directing. Because, I mean, The Conjuring, yes, he used the the real-life protagonist of Ed and Lorraine Warren and kind of used their true story and weaved it into the cinematic world. But I'd love to see what he does next, coming back to a low-budget horror film, because everything you've just said is true. And his reliance on um, performances and atmosphere and just keeping things as real as possible and as minimal as possible. I love that. And sometimes I think a few horror directors out there could take his take his lead and how he creates his films. There have been some recently, like uh, David F. Sandberg has kind of got a, quite a good handle on it. But what James Wan can do is, when he's on his game, he's bloody brilliant. So I'm looking forward to see what he does with The Fish Guy in December as well. 
So I was actually, they announced um, the other day that The Conjuring 3, they're getting the dark, I can't remember the name of the film, but there's a new kind of, I think it's Mexican horror film <laughs> that I think James Wan's producing, and they got the director of that to direct Conjuring 3, which upset me, because I was, I was, especially after watching The Nun, I was kind of, I was like, right, Conjuring, let's reset this straight, let's bring back Conjuring 3, put James Wan there, let's <laughs> yes. bring this franchise back on track. And now it's not going, I don't, I don't know anything about the other director, so still could turn Michael on Michael Chavez, I think his name is. Yeah, but Michael it's not going to. I just know it's not going to have that that finesse, that level of finesse that James Wan can bring. And it's going to feel, I feel like it's going to feel very different than the other two. Even if James Wan's producing and he's, you know, got his hands in it, it's still going to feel different from a filmmaking standpoint because I think only James Wan can do what he does. And even with like the Aquaman trailer, he's doing that same thing with yep. big bombastic action and it looks incredible the way he does it. I'd, yeah, I'd love to see him come back to just, just the genre. And I know how I know how hands-on he is with this pr- franchise in terms of his overall affection for it, but you do have to wonder sometimes how how involved he's going to be in these films because we've got the Conjuring three, there's an Annabelle three coming out, there's a Crooked Man film coming out, all of which yeah, he's going to have his lot. hands in. Yeah. So uh, meanwhile, he's editing Aquaman and doing all this, and <laughs> yeah. So, so how like... deep is he going to be? In? And Michael Chavez, the guy who's directing the Conjuring three, the, one of the words I've heard used for him. And how he produces his films is they are quite slick. They're slick horror films. So I, sh- I know it can, it can be dangerous to uh, jump to assumptions, but I do worry when I hear the word slick when it comes to a horror mm, film. I want something especially like, when, a with The Conjuring, because like The Conjuring's, I wouldn't describe those films as slick in the way... I mean, they, they are, but I wouldn't describe it that way. Like you said, it's kind of very old school in its approach, and it's very effective in how it does it. And it's, it's very slow, and it takes its time. Whereas... I, I just worry that I don't want, it's going to sound weird, but I don't want a more modern filmmaker's approach to horror mm-hmm. with The Conjuring, because that's not what The Conjuring is, feels like to me. Like, I watch The Conjuring, and it, it will make me feel like I'm watching a film from 1970. Yes. Whereas if you, like The Nun, if The, the Nun feels just like <laughs> a very 2018 commercial horror film, I don't want that to accidentally slip into the Conjuring films themselves. No, and The Nun didn't get particularly good reviews from I myself or Terrell. Let's just put that out there now. <laughs> I think I, I think I liked it only very slightly more. I didn't hate it yeah, I, like that. I I just got bored. Like yes. I, I, it got to a point where I just checked out because the film, the film, the film. We're gonna go on a little rant about The Nun now, but the, the film had like a uh, an element to it where I know we're dealing with spirits and supernatural things, so there's a suspension of disbelief. But it had no limit because there were things going on that I thought were visions or things like this and like like that like that, and they weren't. And it was like, <laughs> but, so how's that happening? Like, how? I'm gonna spoil a little scene, but how's this guy dropped in this grave? Two seconds later, the grave, the, the ground is all yes. together at the top of the, of the grave, and then the nun pops to the side of him inside the grave, and it's like, what, what is going on? <laughs> like, I thought this was a vision. One thing I've but... got to say about that scene is he's in a wooden box, okay, guys? He's in a wooden box, and, the, and excuse me, French, the knob gets a lighter out inside a wooden box. <laughs> What's he going to do? He sets the box on fire. What's he going to do when that happens? <laughs> it's just, there were so many moments like that where it's like, I don't understand where the logic of this film is set, in, like, like it's set so I don't know where, where to suspend my disbelief and what for, because it just seems like anything is possible. Yeah, that is, it, this nun could do anything. <laughs> like, like apart from the apart from take a face full of the blood of Christ, <laughs> it's it's almost like the nun could do every could do any everything, but almost did nothing because the the film didn't really have the nun in it 
which was another problem I had. Like, <laughs> well, she got absolutely punked in The Conjuring too. She went out like an absolute idiot. Yeah. And in this film, yeah, she got a face full of Christ's blood, which i got to say, putting that in your mouth, it's thousands of years old. That probably isn't the best yeah. thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and she gets blood of Christ, and then she just, like, disintegrates into the big well in the ground, which then suddenly covers over, like you say, as if just like the click of a finger, this concrete covers over it. Yeah, it's just, and you think, it's well, that strange. was... Awful and then ending. the backstory too, because like this film, I watched this film because I thought, okay, it's a little prequel kind of thing. We're gonna learn about this thing. You didn't really learn anything that much no, about it. And then there's this whole World War One, World War Two backstory, and That's then it. something with the knights, and they come in and Christ's blood and all of that. And it's like, huh? It's like, <laughs> it says something coming through the vents in this cinema because I don't feel right. Yeah, it's just, it's just, and it, that, that happened for like that that one little exposition scene was like a minute. And it was like, if, if you're going to go there, you got to go there and like delve into this and really explain that. Not for one minute. And then they said they, they sealed the whole thing and then bombs were dropped and it opened up again. And it was like, huh? <laughs> yeah. When the Knights of Templar came running in with their swords and I thought, what the fuck's going on? Yeah, it's like, and what then, film am I watching? <laughs> and then the blood of Christ was kept in this like really crap looking Christmas tree bauble. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like I like the I know this isn't about the nun, but I liked the setting. I thought that was a fit. I like the church and I like the idea of having it in rural Romania. That's hard to say if you can't pronounce your ass, but in the back streets of Romania. I thought that I liked all that side of it, and I liked parts of the atmosphere, and I liked um, uh, Tess, Tess of Farmiga Virus. I like little. her too. She has a likable presence. But I also think if she's not in any way connected to. Vera Farmiga's character. That's such a strange it's bit of strange. casting. Yeah, casting is this because it threw me up. Like once I realized from the trailers that's who she was, I immediately thought, "Oh, this is an, an older sister or something like that, or, or what? Yeah, whatever that it might be in this in this context of the film." But they didn't really seem to play that up in, at all. So it was kind of like just yeah. bite on. Yeah, just strange. <laughs> well, I've read her articles which basically say this is why she isn't the same person and blah blah. And I think well. Oh, it's just a, it's nothing. She's a great actor, actress, sorry, but I just wonder why they picked someone who looked exactly like the, same. the protagonist in the other films. Yeah. But that's for the, that was a nun. Basically, we both thought it was, a, it was none worth watching. So, But that's my number five. So moving on to Terrell's number four. We are rocking at old school still. Yep, uh, that's The Wicker Man, so the original one, not the Nick Cage one. Oh. But that, is, that is a hilarious film. That's one of the funniest films you could watch. Not, not for but, the same uh, reasons was, they want. I was actually having a discussion with someone the other day, actually, and I was talking about uh, I was talking about Nick Cage in general because I've heard about Mandy. Oh. And I was saying about how, how like, when shooting this Wicker Man remake, did he really, for example, if you know the scene with the bees where he's yes. yelling, ah, oh, the bees, the did he really scene. do that? And when the take stopped, think, right, yeah, that's good. That is it. Like, <laughs> like what what was he trying to do? Like I, I really want to be inside his mind, shooting that movie. And with, all done now. Off for dinner. Yeah, like this this works. People are gonna be scared. People are gonna <laughs> love this. But on the other hand, the the original is one of those films that again, I, I, I was I was older than I was when I watched um, Texas Chainsaw, but I was still fairly young, I think. And it creeped me out, and it still creeps me out now, because it, it's one of those things because it's so close to home as well, because it's kind of British. And the setting is something that I can look at and I can kind of, I can look at and I can kind of recognize just from just being Britain. And the story, I don't even really want to spoil it in case anyone hasn't seen it. Because I feel like the, the little kind of twist that they throw in there is a really creepy and it's so sinister. But it, that's what really like, I'm going to spoil it. <laughs> yeah, go, go ahead. The twist, 
the twist in the plot line that the, this guy that's gone to investigate for this girl, I haven't watched it in a long time, it's for the girl, I believe, he goes it's, it's, yeah. to investigate, and there's this cult, blah, 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 the whole twist of it is, is that that was all kind of a ploy to get the, the guy there, so they could kind of sacrifice him. Um, nice. But it's the whole aspect of the cult, and the way, the way they are, they're very strange, there's some weird scenes in this film, that I just that just, are just so bizarre, there's a scene where he's in his, like in his little hotel room, and there's a woman in next door just dancing naked up against the wall. And it's it's, 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 it's just really strange. <laughs> it's, just, it's just strange. <laughs> it's, just, it's so strange that it, it threw me off and made me feel uncomfortable. It made me just feel un, like unease. <laughs> but then it all builds up to this climax where he, he... It's the moment where he really realizes what's going on. And the shot... When you first see the shot of the Wicker Man, like, that... For what it is, it's a wooden tall figure thing <laughs> but for what it is that's such a scary shot and i think it's because of the music as well yeah when they first reveal it and you realize what's going on and what's about to happen and then they show the shot of the thing it's just really creepy and effective and it, it's one of those things that's just always stuck with me and it's just a film that i think is really disturbing in a very unique way that a lot of other films aren't because it it's disturbed me using things that just i don't really see in other films to be honest yeah, Edward Woodward, the main the main dude in the film. Christopher Lee also stars in it, and he says this is his best film and his best performance, and he's got so many to choose from. But yeah, Edward Woodward, when he first saw that Wicker Man, I recently read, um, well, I say recently, about a couple of years ago, that he hadn't seen the finished Wicker Man. He'd only seen concept art and drawings of it. So when he saw it, his reaction in the film was genuine. Uh, pretty genuine. He's like, oh, God, God, no. Because he hadn't seen this massive this thing. Uh, it's, well, Wicker it's Man. It's crazy how that that thing there could just cause so much fear and kind of yeah it's just it's just that tall thing but is is it <laughs> that blended with what's going on and what's happened and how it's all being constructed to lure this man into this situation that he's in then knowing what they're about to do with this man and then seeing that thing that's going to play a part in it it just builds it's just like a perfect crescendo of a moving parts that just have a real effective ending yeah, I mean, this isn't this isn't one of those scary films where things jump out at you or things go bump in the night or there's jump scares. It's just it just builds up, like you say, it's like this crescendo just builds and builds and builds, and you know that something isn't right because of the right. the imagery yeah. and the scenes that they throw in. And the scariest part of the film, because I mean, it's still relevant, but you know, the devout religious belief that these people don't necessarily believe they're wrong. They're just doing it for their religion. They're all of their actions. It's ter- It's relative because people still do it. But it's terrifying. That's the thing. And it's, it's those type of ideals mindset, that can be yeah. into the real world and what people actually do, which is what makes that hit harder as well. Yeah, and the folk music that plays at the end as well is just oh, creepy as Creepy as hell. hell. <laughs> and, they got, and obviously there's folk music, folk music go all the way through the film as well. So it's all that kind of unsettling unease because, I mean, well, folk music can be unsettling at the best of times, but um, <laughs> it doesn't float my boat. But it, it's just this strange sense throughout the whole film. It's uh, Robert, Robin Hardy directed it, but he just created something very strange and like this mysterious part of the world to some, the islands of Scotland, uh, right in the far north of nowhere. Yeah, and this, I mean, there's nothing scary happens necessarily, but... That's the thing. It's just when it builds up to that end. That ending is such a hard hitter, yeah. And, it's, and I think it's a testament to that ending, because without that ending, I don't think the film would work. The rest of the film wouldn't work, because, yeah. like you said, there's not there's not massive slow moments of build-up and tension and jump scare or just moments of pure suspense, really. It's kind of just a casual film. 
But it, because once you get to that ending and you see the the journey you've taken to get there and it suddenly makes all the rest of that worthwhile and really makes sense. And it, it was almost like they were saving that. In, it's almost like the film has one scare and they save the entire scare right to the end and just built up to it slowly throughout the whole film without you even realizing because there wasn't any proper suspenseful moments. But it all end up pays off in that last moment. Yeah, like we say, it's a testament to the writing and the atmosphere and how the, and the narrative before that, that when it builds up to that moment, that sort of massive gut punch hits you when you realise just what's happening and that the tables have been turned and what's been happening all along. It is a, it's, one of, it's one of the most, well, to me, it's one of the most iconic moments in, in horror because of just how unexpected, but the, 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 the twist of it all. And yeah, it's just agree. such a visceral twist. But also another fun fact is Britt Eklund's in this film and she was uh, fairly easy on the eye back in the day. Uh, her boyfriend at the time was Rod Stewart and he wasn't happy that she was half naked in this film. I remember reading about that actually. burn <laughs> all of the copies of it because yeah. she, she, had, she had a bum double so the, so the arse you see in the film isn't hers. But Rod Stewart still wasn't happy that you get to see the front of her and he tried to burn all of the copies and he really wasn't... Yeah, Rod went. That's probably the, that was probably during a time when he started wearing leather cat suits and spandex, so it must have affected him. <laughs> yeah. oh, I remember reading about that actually when I was reading, just reading up on the film. But yeah, the, the, the Wicker Man is a is a classic, and funnily enough, it's another film that's been remade, as you mentioned. So we've had Texas Chainsaw Massacre remade, Wicker Man remade. It's a to be fair, like there's. I feel like we're getting better with remakes now. Um, with my next film, which we'll get onto later. There's a remake coming of that one, which is getting a lot of buzz. Um, but there's so many bad ones. <laughs> it's, it's like I think the we're ratio's finally getting... getting better. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, finally, the scales tip in the right way slowly. Well, tipping the scales all the way back to the other way in terms of bad remakes. This one had a pretty gloomy <laughs> remake. My number four is the original uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street by the man we've mentioned and will mention on th- subsequent shows, Wes Craven, starring the main man Robert England, Heather Lillenkamp. And Johnny Depp's debut in a film as well. <laughs> this was this was before Freddy Krueger just got ridiculous and turned into like a sunglass wearing party going <laughs> idiot, <laughs> basically. But why do I like this film? It's got a great premise. The idea that you can't fall asleep is terrifying. It's got brilliant. It's that I word again. Brilliant imagery, moments you remember, and it's got above everything the horror icon. Everybody knows who Freddy Krueger is, even if you're. A the only young and you may not have seen a film. Everybody knows the hat, the fingers, the, the burnt face, the jumper. It's just something that is just iconic within the genre. And as I mentioned before, he got stupid. He was effective in this film as this nightmare assassin. And it's just one of those horror films, which for me, parts of it have dated in terms of the effects. It does look a bit of its time. But watching it back in the day... I can see how it would have been terrifying. And this has got so many great scenes in it. Obviously, Johnny Depp's bloody demise. Uh, Tina, one of the girls in it, when she's asleep, she gets dragged across the ceiling and torn open. You've got the other subplot where uh, the parents don't believe the kids, so the kids are by themselves and the authority figures uh, are no hope to help to them. But then we realise that there might be a reason why they're not helping the kids out. Has Have they had the encounters of Freddy before? And you've got, obviously, Heather Lenk... Heather Langenkamp, bloody hell. Heather Langenkamp. <laughs> I forgot that name. Yeah, I can't even get it out. <laughs> who's a uh, who's like who's now a classic final girl as well. So Nightmare on Elm Street for me is 
it's a film which I can sit down with a beer and a pizza and enjoy and watch, but it's also one where if I try to dive too far into it, I do get why it terrifies so many people. But the original Nightmare on Elm Street for me is my number four. So I would have um, probably had it on my list as well. But I saw it in yours, I was like, all right, I'll go with something different. Because that's one of those <laughs> Sorry, films mate. that's like, <laughs> that's one of those films that, out of all those films I watched when I was younger, um, this is the one that I think I, the concept of it just grasped me straight away. And I, I loved it. And I, great horror films, especially kind of ones like this, will have something that you can pull into the real world. No pun intended. <laughs> um, um, <laughs> <laughs> that was actually accidental. Um, uh, yeah, something you could kind of bring into the real world that will could give you that same kind of kind of anxiety or fear. Like everyone sleeps, so what happens when you've got something that will kill you when you sleep? <laughs> like that's that concept Bollocks, that you basically, everyone yeah. could relate to in terms of their thought of, oh, if I put myself in this situation, what would I do? Because everyone sleeps at some point. <laughs> like, and it's I'll such just a lay there and wait for death thing. Yeah, and <laughs> I'd love to know the moment see the moment when the concept of this was came to life because yes. it must have been a light bulb moment like wait we've got something here because like once again going back to 1984 i believe is when it come out you yes there was nothing like this back then and there's still not really anything like it now um in terms of this concept you can't really you can't really present a variation on this concept really without it being the same thing and it i, I think it's just very effective in that way but then also you've got those dream sequences and the death sequences, which a lot of them are iconic to me. You've got that weird um, dream moment where he's coming through the wall as she's asleep. Um, it's awesome, that did. You've got the bath scene with the claw, uh, and then the death scenes like you've, you've, you've listed, like the, the Johnny Depp one with the gallons and gallons of blood. And it's, yeah, I, I can't really mention anything wrong about the film, to be honest. I think it's almost like a perfect horror film. Can you just imagine being in that room and just the moment where Craven thinks, guys, I've got it, I've got it. Yeah. And then things will actually. Why not? Why not just make him even worse and have him have knives for fingers as well, just yeah. to just to give them no chance. But uh, uh, I seem to remember Wes Craven said that obviously there's not a real Freddy Krueger, but apparently there was a story he'd he'd heard that there was kids just dying in their sleep in a small town somewhere. I don't know whereabouts in the world, probably the states. But so apparently it's a true story that kids were just dying in their sleep mysteriously. And I think he's he'd he'd, he'd obviously read that. And twisted it and made it into his own thing. Yeah, but still. his own little thing. It was very. It's just a, such a genius concept. Like, just like I said, it's just so something so simple. You take something that everyone does and then flip it in a way where you can make them fear that, and then you've got just such a genius concept there. Of and then, like you said, that the concept's good in, in its own right, but then the character they created to embody that. Was then just as as good as it could possibly be for that for that one film anyway. He kind of spiraled yeah. out of control afterwards. The but, second film I, was horrendous. I I remember one moment that the first time I watched the film that really jumped me and just made my heart go cold it was right in the beginning when he's chasing that girl and she grabs his face and like his face comes off and you see yeah. the skull like that just made me my blood run cold when I first saw it. <laughs> but he still <laughs> like, watched it. He still carried on watching it. Yeah, still carried on. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he used to having his nose scraping across the metal yeah. and dreams and that. But it's such a great concept and yeah, as it's going to scare kids and it it still works nowadays. I think it's like you say you can't really do a dream. You can, I know Stephen King's tried, but you can't really do story uh, nightmares set a killer set in nightmares without referencing or thinking about a nightmare yeah, it's, it's, so, like it's, it's been it's been done it's one of those concepts that is done 
anything that comes remotely close to it now cannot be done without being compared. Yeah, Wes Craven does it. it again, which is I mean, and there's there's going to be many more films as we talk about in weeks and months and whatever to come. But uh, on that on that uh, remake, I remember th- I remember watching it and just thinking this is very slow, very gloomy, and parts of it were quite good. I didn't mind some of it, but overall, I wasn't that impressed with the remake. How about yourself? Um, I remember. I watched that at a time when I was kind of... How old was I when that came out? Uh, it must have been like... 2010 15, it came out or something like that, I think. Yeah, and I remember watching it uh, and and liking it liking it when I watched it then, but then watching it later on, because I was actually going to write an article trying to compare the two mm-hmm. um, and look at the, uh, and try and iron out what's good and what's bad in that re- remake. Um, but I remember when I did then watch it again, and I thought oh, it's kind of got its moments where it does just kind of go on a lull and kind of just be a bit, yeah. bit commercial and a bit basic and not really take advantage of what it's doing. But then there are other moments where it does have little hints of, like I love the dream transitions in that film. Like I remember the girl sat in the classroom and all of a sudden, like in a snap of a finger, the whole classroom aesthetic changes to like some sort of all decayed, mm-hmm. like in dusty room. And Freddy's, Freddy's there, like writing on the chalkboard with his claws. And yeah. yeah, like the transitions I thought were good. He had a couple of one-liners that I found funny. Um, That's what he's become a, now, wasn't it? Yeah, in a, in a really dark way with the one-liners he had. Um, and I was going to say, what did you think of the of the new Freddy? I think it was Jackie O'Haley played him. Yeah, I, what did I, you think of him? I thought he was quite good. And what about the backstory they gave him? See, the backstory I don't have a huge problem with. I know a lot of people do. I don't. I don't have a massive problem with it. Um, and him as in general, I think I because Freddy Krueger and Robert Englund's one of those things where you can't go in there and try and do an impression of him because that's mm-hmm. that's his thing. No one's ever going to take that away from him. Like, and you're not going to be able to replicate it as good as he can. So I like that he, they kind of went the darker angle with it, and a much more sinister kind of like how he was in the original film, to be honest. But they just yeah. took it a step further and kind of made it a lot darker. And I like the raspy tone of his voice because that was just very menacing. His voice. Yeah, I didn't mind him as, as a whole in the performance. I just think there was elements of the film where it kind of slipped up. I think the beginning... I think I like the beginning quite a bit, if I remember correctly, because they're in the diner, I believe. Yeah, yeah, they are. And you don't realise that the kid's fallen asleep until stuff starts happening. And it's, I think that was a good opening. And then yet, I think, is it the ending of the remake where the mum gets pulled through the... No, that's the original. That's the original, the original, yeah. She's standing by the door and his hand comes in because she's oh, watching him go off in the car, isn't she? It's the it's the, the what I'm thinking of with the remake now. It's where she stood by the mirror, and the claw comes out and it goes through the back of her head through her eyes. Yes. That yeah that that I didn't mind either. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there, pretty sane. I think there's still a lot to like in that film, but it was just a bit flawed. I, I, to be fair, I think that remake because they came out of this like a year apart. That remake in the mm-hmm. Friday the Thirteenth one. That's another one where I feel like that was a decent remake for what it was. Like I. I will watch a Friday the Thirteenth film to just watch people get killed, and that film <laughs> yeah. had a lot of people getting killed, so I was satisfied with the film. Yeah, your bloodlust was happy for another year because yeah. <laughs> <Like>, that <laughs> film had a high body count when it came to killing people, like a really high one for a slasher film. So yeah, I didn't didn't mind it, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, the the re the remake I thought was decent. Um, I, I actually do want them to try again, like I especially when seeing things like Halloween that's coming out this month. Mm. I I would like to see them try. Freddy Krueger again, but it's kind of the, once again one of those hard things. Like you, you can't just try it just for the sake of trying it. Really, you need to have a an idea of what you really want to do with that to really make that work. 
Yeah, and you can't just remake the first film. You'd have to yeah. take the idea and make something new, new and exciting. I mean, they tried that with... I mean, Dream Warriors, the third film, was good. And A New Nightmare, which is what, the seventh or eighth film? Yeah. I liked that. That was a film within a film, and it was an interesting concept. It was taking making Freddy, you know, the the, the evil enemy again, rather than, you know, like the skateboarding, pizza-eating yeah. idiot he turned into. But <laughs> I might rewatch that remake soon and just either torment myself or remind myself that it wasn't as bad as I remember. Yeah, I kind of I feel like because why when did I I must have it was toward the beginning of this year I think I might have watched or it might have been middle of last year maybe I don't know my perception of time is gone because <laughs> um, <laughs> he never well, sleeps yeah whenever yeah <laughs> now now did, now we know why because he's yeah <laughs> so when I did yeah I remember thinking it's 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 like I, I remember because my plan was to write an article kind of comparing remakes and original films and yeah I remember thinking okay I got a case here to kind of actually put a foot forward and try and defend this film a little for it not being as bad as people make it out to be. Um, it's just not as good as people hoped it, or like it could have been with the potential that it did have. Yeah, I've got it on on a DVD, so I will watch it soon. But yeah, the original one is head and shoulders above anything that came out within this franchise afterwards. The Dream, Night, Dream Warriors was fun, and The New Nightmare was good. But yeah, the first one for me stands head and shoulders above the rest. So that was my number four. So moving on to number three, and boy, oh boy, are we moving into strange territory? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Suspiria, 1977. And this is a film that, uh, yeah, this film is, I could go on for ages about this, um, <laughs> with, with so many descriptive words. Um, <laughs> for, as an entry point, for anyone that's never watched any Italian horror films, because that's a thing that I kind of indulged myself in this year, early this year, was just Jallo films, and that's I was it. loving it. Um, it's something I would recommend doing for any horror fan that hasn't because there's so many different aspects to the horror genre that you wouldn't necessarily know about or have just seen films from. So I kind of indulged in uh, Dario Argento's films and other films by other, um, other director, Italian directors. And I did, before I go into detail with Suspiria, I did actually see a few films that I consider among my favourites. Um, oh, I can't remember the name of it now. It's got a really... if it, uh, Blood and Black Lace. I think is the name of it. Nice. That's from, 19, I want to say 1960, maybe even earlier than that. And that's actually considered one of the biggest influences for the slasher genre. That is a very uh, a very interesting film, a very well done film. That's a good mystery, uh, just to throw one out there. But what I like about Suspiria, as well as just the Italian giallo genre in general, is the mystery of the films. They're all kind of like, they're all murder mysteries in a way, um, but they're done in such a different style. But Suspiria is so, yeah. so vivid like I, it's one of the most beautiful films ever made, and it came at a time where it was very clear to see that color was still quite a new thing in film. And Dario Argento just dived like <laughs> headfirst into into just throwing these vibrant, dream. yeah, just vibrant colors to create this real surreal kind of atmosphere. Um, and like watching it again, when I watched it again, like uh, last year, because they released the limited edition Blu-ray last year, and I bought that yes. again. And the, the restoration's really good. Because um, the interesting thing about that Blu-ray, actually, is there are some... It starts off with, like, a little message before it starts to say that some um, parts of the film could not be restored. So there's little moments in the film from maybe even, like, just one shot or for half a second, it will cut back to the original film. And you get to see then how it looks in its original state. That's interesting. Versus how they managed to remaster it, and it looks incredible. Um, but watching the film back then, it, it actually surprised me how even now it actually... It got my heart pumping watching that film, and there are certain scenes where I was actually on edge um, just watching that movie, and it was, it was so successful in that right to me in terms of 
making me kind of fearful but it's also the mystery of what's really going on because when i first watched the film i had no clue what it was really about and when you it's one of those things again i don't really want to spoil it but well i will say it only because when talking about the remake that's come in i kind of didn't want to spoil it with that either but in the marketing they kind of played it up a bit and i've heard the actors talk about it but it's all to do with witches and it's it's a very the way in which that's done and the way that kind of is sprung on you when you start to realize what's going on is just really interesting the way in which they do it and it's kind of like that that wicker man thing where it's all building up and then towards the end you start to really piece it all together and what's going on um and the film has one of the best open like an iconic opening in my opinion 15 um, minutes of just bloody yeah, horrific glory yeah and like this this shot of the, the woman falling into the building and being hung and then the other woman actually got hit with the glass panel and it's yeah, like in her head crucifix and it's right. just it's just crazy and then of course the music the music might it might be my favorite soundtrack that music horror. is terrifying it's it's but so so Goblin, i think they were called. yeah yeah it's yeah, I just. <laughs> Terrell loves this film. <laughs> yeah, I really do. Because when I, because I hadn't seen it for such a long time, and then when that Blu-ray came out, I watched it, and I kind of didn't remember anything about it, and the music just struck me straight away as just something that's just memorable and just so eerie and in atmospheric and dark, and it's, it was just so effectively done. But yeah, it's sp- and I can't wait for the remake now. It looks, it looks beautiful. It's another one of those sort of strange, you know, psychedelic. Uh, it's got like a weird hallucinatory feel to it. I found when I was watching it, you kind of feel yeah. like you're in in a dream or you're on something. You're in like haze watching it, or and maybe or maybe that's just coming through the through the garden from downstairs. But I felt like <laughs> what the hell it, 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 it was like you say, like the Wicker Man. It's, you know something's going on. You're not quite sure what is happening, but it's filmed. It's a shot so beautifully that you you just what you're drawn in. You're absolutely drawn in by this. And yeah, Goblin score. It puts you right on edge as well. So you're drawn in by the beautiful, fantastical visuals and colour, and you're also something in the back of your head is like battering away because this score is just terrifyingly effective. But yeah, that intro scene is just awesome. And yeah, the end, the very end of it, where you see the blood-stained corpse and the crucified body is just yeah, like, a, it's just like here's my film. This is what's going to happen, basically. But that's, that's what I was about to say. It's almost like a statement. It's like, yeah, this is what you're in for. Like, yeah. it's like this is what I'm doing with this one. <laughs> Buckle up, kids. <laughs> yeah, or ten year old career. Watch this. But it's um, yeah, yeah. For um, uh, what, what I will say about it is, it is one of those kind of hauntingly beautiful type films where it. It looks great, it, but it, when, once you once you watch it, if you're not thinking about it for days after, this you, you're lost in the head because it's one of those films that just stays with you, and the fact that we had the way it just builds and builds and builds, that's what got me. And then after I'd watched it, I spent the whole evening just thinking, "What am I just watching?" Trying to piece it together, and then the next day I was at work thinking about it, thinking, and when a film can grab me like that, then I know it's done its job. So. Yeah, it's what special, I, what special I, when you've got that feeling. Yeah, and what I want to ask you is, we've got the remake coming out imminently almost now. Firstly, I guess the question for you is, because I know how much you love this film, what what do you want from this film and what are you expecting? And is it going to be hard to then go back and re-watch the original if this one does crush it? What I think, what I, what I really want from this film is the same thing that I didn't know I wanted but got from the Evil Dead remake, because I love the original mm, Evil yes. Dead is a film that is almost like a remake, but almost like a reboot. It's kind of like both. 
and it's taking elements of what the original idea was, but doing it in a different way. So you can kind of almost, it's almost like you don't even feel forced to compare the two. They stand side by side as their own entities of the within the same thing. So it's like they can both be respected on a real high level. And I feel like this, and judging by the responses that are coming out now, that this is exactly what this, the remake is. Because I've heard a lot of responses saying that, um, a lot of reactions saying that it's, it's very different from what this film is. And it, and it does look like that. When I was watching the trailers, I, from that first teaser trailer, I knew straight away this is this is very different. Of course, you, you the color palette isn't as, as striking um, from what they've shown. I've, I mean, there's a couple scenes in the trailers where it is like just complete red. But um, <laughs> it's the idea of just, it looks more focused on character than the original did, um, which intrigues me. Um, and it's just got a, a very uneasy vibe about it, which I like. There's a, there's moments in the trailer where you can see there's a scene like a, like a dinner table with Tilda Swinton and Dakota Johnson kind of just staring at each other across the table. And it looks so it looks so, so interesting and perplexing at the same time, because it's like, what is that? What's the energy that's going on between them for this scene and throughout this film? And what's what's really going on like and as someone that's seen the original and knows what that's about i still feel like there's going to be a lot of new things in here that is going to surprise me as someone who knows the original down to a t which i i think that's that's more exciting to me than them just trying to remake and copy what was done before yeah i mean do you think because it's uh luca doing nino the dude from call me by your name is directing this do you think he's gonna follow the same beats haven't you... seen that film <laughs> really well it's a it. it's yeah. a beautifully shot it looks beautiful it's a great film though it looks great and the character and it's the character side of it is immense so if they could t- if he could take that into Suspiria then boy oh boy he's gonna this is gonna live up to the hype coming out from the critics who have seen it but do you think he'll keep it fairly similar narratively or do you think he's gonna I know you mentioned that you'd like to see something do you reckon he's gonna change it up not necessarily just the end, but just like certain plot, beat, plot points. I, I think it's going to be wildly different in a way. From what I've heard and from what I've seen from the trailers myself, I feel like it's going to. I think I feel like it's going to ease people in to a point where like people that may have be familiar with the original will feel comfortable with what they're seeing in terms of recognizing certain things. And I feel like it might hit the halfway point and suddenly go wildly to the left <laughs> and start doing some really interesting and different things and. For the like the trailer, the way the trailers were edited and put together, and the shots that are included in there, and once again, the mu- I can't believe how good the music in the trailers is. Because yes. for how good the music in the original is, for someone to come along, I think it's the lead lead person from uh, Radiohead, I think that did the composing for uh, this new one. But for him to come in and do something completely different musically, but still have such an impactful effect just from the trailer, like. I'm really excited to just see how that plays out because I think the music's going to be a key part of this remake as well. In yeah, Tom that. York, isn't it? Sorry. Yeah, but I think yeah, I just I'm really really excited. There's a film I'll talk about later that's come out this year that is so good I can't see any other film topping it. But then when I think about it, even within this genre, knowing that this film's on the horizon, I'm like I'm holding back <laughs> from really <laughs> from really kind of crowning this film as the film that I'm going to speak about later as the best film, best horror film of the year because this other film looks so good. It, well, firstly, who ruled the world? Girls. Because we had yes. Jessica Harper was in this film and then this, and then the remake we got Chloe Grace Moretz who is slowly building up her reputation, I think, as a very good young actress. She was great in The Miseducation of Cameron Post. The Carrie remake, meh, she was good in it for what it was. 
And she, I like her. And I'm looking forward to seeing what she brings to this film. You got, of course, you got the majestic Tilda Swinton, Dakota Johnson as Signore Fifty Shades, and Mia Goth. <laughs> uh, yeah. so you got a fantastic female-led cast here. So I'm looking forward to it from that sense because they're all fabulous actresses. So it's certainly going to be performed very well. But I got, I mean, my head is bent for this film because. I want it to succeed so much, and I want to come out of it thinking that was the most surreal, psychedelically terrifying thing I've seen in a long time. But by doing that, I don't want to set myself up for a failure just in That's case it isn't quite as good. I think it's going to be very good. I've got no doubt it's, I'm going to think it's very good. At least I hope so. But I'm just stopping short of you know wishing that it's going to be the best film I see this the, year, horror film. The, the, thing, the reason I can't stop myself doing that is because I... I was so excited for this film before when it just got announced. And then there was a long period of time after it got announced where nothing, we, we knew it was shooting and they had shot and they had finished, but there was still no news about when yeah, it was yeah. actually coming out. It was just 2018. And from then and then to see the trailers, from the moment I saw the trailers, I thought this is going to be good. I thought this is in good hands. This is going to be interesting. And I had such confidence that it would be a great film just from the trailers. But then to see, I've probably seen like hundreds of reactions now by this point that are all the same. Like, they're all... They're they're not even like, yeah, the film was good. This They're all... I'm seeing masterpiece. I'm seeing all words of that vein being thrown around by all these different types of people. And to have it to that level, it's, it's, it's making me think, right, this film really is what I'm thinking it was going to be. And that's why I can't... Now that I've got that set in stone, it's, it's almost like they validated what I thought <laughs> in the first place now I'm thinking, yeah before i've seen the film i'm thinking yeah i'm right i was right about it <laughs> it's, it's gonna be that good <laughs> i was skeptical when i first announced it i think because i thought because this original 1977 you're number three i thought because it was so beautifully done and it worked because of the time it was set and the effects they used it just worked and you know it didn't need to redoing so yeah. i wasn't overly sold but and like you say then we went for months and you go on IMDb, it was just in production. There was no news of anything. Suddenly, uh, images started coming out, and we heard the cast, and then we see the first trailer. And man, I'm on board. I can't That's not the... wait to get into the cinema and watch this, and just be hopefully be blown away. I try not to read reviews or reactions, but sometimes curiosity gets to better review. And I did see some of the superior ones, and you're right, people are. They're not just saying it was very good. Or, or anything like that. They are saying masterpiece, which yeah, part of me scares it's... me because of the hyperbole surrounding that word. But that's the thing. Uh, when, whenever someone says masterpiece, it usually ends up being for a film that people could be on the wild end of the spectrum with. So yeah, the, people call mother people a masterpiece. masterpiece. And, and you know what? I've actually been thinking about that film the other day. I need to watch that again because I feel like that film is a film that watching that, because I still haven't watched it a second time, but I feel like that's a film that I'm going to like a lot more the second time. I don't think I could get to masterpiece with it, but I feel like I could appreciate it a lot more for what it was doing. Because for some reason, even being a religious person, it was flying over my head when I was watching the film. Like all the religious connotations, really, were the the film was just so overwhelming that I just couldn't couldn't keep up with what it was trying to do with Mother. But but with yeah. Suspiria, like my, I think what they're what I think they're doing with Suspiria, and like I said with Evil Dead, is the way forward for doing a remake of a film. It's how they should all really be done, to be honest. Instead of just trying to copy the exact same thing for a modern audience, to, to put your own spin on it. And I think as a director, that would be a much more exciting thing to do as well 
then to try and follow in the footsteps directly of someone that you admire who's made a film that you admire to be able to put your own imprint on that brand and do it your way but still honour what came before, I think is a much better way of doing it. Yeah, if you can pay homage, but also have your film stand alone. So if you can have Luca uh, Gugnino's film and Dario Argento's film of the same title, but are respected for their individual individualness as well, I think that's what we're going to get. At least I certainly hope that's what we're going to get. So I will be eagerly awaiting the uh, <laughs> the first reaction from Terrell upon seeing Suspiria <laughs> and I, I can imagine it may take a little while to sink in like most films yeah. like this do but I'm looking forward to it but my number three isn't quite as surreal but uh, it certainly made a big splash when it came out and it when I first saw this in 1999 like yourself this scared the hell out of me because I, I bought into the hype my number three is the Blair Witch Project I believe this was real because I was when it came out I was 13 I believe because it came out in July of 1999 so I was still only 13 years old and it was based on a true story and three kids went um, went looking for the this Blair Witch blah blah uh, a year later their footage was found and it was marketed so well I bought into it so when I'm watching it because of course it's a handheld um, production the whole thing is just done by the, the old school handheld cameras and it all felt real the, the actors uh, Heather Donahue, Michael C. Williams, and Joshua Leonard all go by their names. They are just Heather, Michael, and Josh. So, as far as I was concerned, it was all real. The Blair Witch, the the fable and the myth of the Blair Witch to this four thirteen year old kid was. I bought into it. I thought, yeah, somewhere in this little village, there is a story of this woman in the woods. What it's, why wouldn't there be? But I believed it, and it scared the living head out of me. And this was the beginning of that kind of handheld scene, which nowadays is starting to or already has become oversaturated and lifeless compared to what this film did because this film's effective because it's just for me the documentary feel of the beginning when they're interviewing the townspeople and when they then get into the woods and sort of bump in the night scares and the, the noises here in the background and it kind of taps into that fear of nature fear of being alone in this apparently sprawling woodland things things start popping up these these stick men start popping up these these rock formations so nothing sinister you're not like seeing heads being thrown around or mutilated corpses but things that you know natural things rocks sticks being used and it kind of for me it built up that we've used this term so many times but it built up this sense of something was happening but something bad was going to happen they, the guys were waking up every morning. Something new would be would be outside. So you think, Jesus, people are outside their tent doing this, and they could have been there all night. They could have done anything. Uh, there's the scene, then obviously that scene where the tent gets dragged through the woods, and you can hear these kids laughing. Jesus, it's still I still get that in my head when I go to sleep sometimes at night. And and the ending <laughs> as well. We've got Michael standing in the corner, and like she's like, "What the hell are you doing?" He's just standing in the corner of this of this room, and it's, to me, even now, that's so effective. You know, the guys are standing in the corner. She, yeah, she, Heather runs down. She's already had this iconic shot of the camera looking up her nose as it's streaming, and she's just running in. She sees her buddy standing in the corner, but he doesn't turn around, and then she gets knocked to the ground, and we don't know what happens to her or anyone, because and obviously before that, you get uh, Joshua, part of his, I think his ear, I think it is, or one of his teeth is sent is outside of their tent in his like bloody handkerchief. So 
that's kind of the goriest we get. But I don't know. For me, it it for me it's up there. Firstly, because of its use of the handheld technology, its marketing sucked me in. It is effective for its utter simplicity. I mean, it cost sixty thousand bucks to make, and it grossed almost three hundred million dollars. <laughs> it's crazy money. The sequel, uh, but. I think this is one of those films that you're not going to get a remake of. Yeah, like <clears throat> the with this the reason the reasons you just say why you love that film are the reasons why it didn't work for me personally. Mm-hmm. Like <clears throat> not that I can't appreciate what the film is and what it was when it came out, but I really wish that I got to see it when it came out because I to be wrapped up in that thought process of it being real is what I missed when I watched it because I watched it for for my chronological chron- I can't say the word chron. I'm not going to bother. My timeline, yeah, I'm going to say for my time <laughs> for my timeline of horror films I've watched. This came kind of late on because it came. I watched it when I was probably 15, I think, um, and that was after Paranormal Activity. So I watched it. Yes. Paranormal Activity was kind of my found footage movie, um, and I watched it after that. But I watched it knowing that it was already fake, and I already knew what it it was. People believed it was real and things like that. In the early days of the internet, people had those little websites, I think, and stuff. But I just I, I don't know if it was me because I haven't seen it in a long time anyway, actually. But I don't know if it was me being a bit not immature, but with the way when I was watching it at that age, I kind of just was bored with it. I it really, I really couldn't get into it. But I think because knowing that it was trying to be so real but was not real, I think that was just a block in my mind at fifteen, and I couldn't properly sink into the atmosphere of it. But the ending, I still think, is one of the iconic aspects of that film and of the genre. Um, and it, of course, created a subgenre in horror that is huge now, and it's still going. Um, which, for what it was back then, and the budget that it was made on, is such a genius thing in itself. And like the level of money that film made was ridiculous. Like the the percentage profit, like on that is, you know, almost almost like the maximum it could be. Like there's almost no money put into it versus the money it, that came back out of it. Yeah, the studio heads were probably went out and had a nice meal that night when that yeah. when that final box office came in. But no, that's why that's how I know going forward the show is going to work because Terrell's honest. It didn't work for him, and I know lots of people in the internet world sometimes are a bit scared to disagree with yeah. people. But so yeah, respect for that actually saying that because it would be easy to say otherwise. But I guess so. Yeah, I mean it, that that is part of the reason why it worked for me so well because of that because I, of all the stories before it and how they marketed it because it was like a new age yeah this new way of shooting the internet started to play a part it's really one of the first major if not the first viral internet film yeah yeah and even just the way it's filmed i mean when they're when they're in burkittsville maryland where it's filmed who when they're interviewing the townsfolk not all of them were actors some of them were real people so some of them are genuine people being interviewed but and were bought into this thing about well I've heard I, I, yeah there's creepy things going up in those woods I don't know they they thought it was real and the actors I mean it only took eight days to film and the actors were um, given clues as to where they were got to go next it was hidden in the cameras and um, little crates in yeah, the I woods I do like that aspect of it actually yeah so they had um, no idea so yeah. when when things are going bump in the night that they you know they they had no idea what was coming so I like the fact that it was basically as much as it could be unscripted so. How so? I guess like the technical and the production side of it ropes me in just as much as the as the actual you know film itself. But for me, it it worked very well. I would like to go back and rewatch it again, but every time I've seen it since, I've enjoyed it. the The sequel, 
not so much because that was that went you know very cinematic and Blair Witch, which came out a couple of years ago, um, I didn't mind that. Did you see that? I did, and I before I go forward on that, and there is a scene that I remember hearing about with the original filmmaking wise. That's quite interesting because I think when there is a moment I've been I'm watching in a long time where they're sprinting through the woods and yeah. the girl had a cue to turn to the right and you were supposed to see the witch on a hill or something like that, I believe, but she kind of missed it and they just went with it. So it was kind of interesting because there's a moment where you were supposed to see the witch, but that didn't happen because of the, the franticness of the performances that were going on in that kind of method way that they were kind of doing it, which I just find just very interesting. But the sequel, I actually w- watched, oh, I'll let you continue. I know, I was going to say, yeah, um, I remember that were, they were, I heard something about that. There's, they went to see the witch or a kid or something, but they were, you, apparently if you have like the greatest TV in the world and you can pause it at the right moment, apparently <laughs> you can kind of see something very, very, very hazily and blurred. But I've never been able to see it. But um, so you think yeah, it's, something I, like that I is like just so effective anyway. Just that was probably more effective knowing that there's something there that you can't really see. Then yes. even if you did really get to see it, to be honest. But the sequel, I actually rewatched that the other day, and I. I really like it. I remember when I watched it in the cinema, I thought it was just okay. And when it ended, I thought, okay, it's just okay. It's all right. And then when I gave it a bit more thought and really worked out what it was doing, I thought, actually, this is quite smart. Because I like the idea of how it takes, it takes, it almost dives into the lore of what the witch is and what the witch can do with these people. So when, like what really got me intrigued, because it was kind of a basic movie until the point where they were walking around and they got back to the camp and they're like, hold on a minute, we just walked away from here and we're back here. And I was thinking, oh, what's going on? And then it kind of acts as like an illness. In my head, is it like a sickness that kind of infects him, is it? Or am I making it up? It's weird. It's one of those things where you can just interpret it in different ways. Like I kind of see it as almost like a, and I've read other people kind of interpret it as almost like a, when you you walk into that forest, you walk under a spell. Yeah, yeah. That spell, it's almost like you're, the, the the days are stretched out and you because there's a moment where they come back and they're like oh we've been here for five days but they haven't seen nightfall again or or daytime or whatever it was and it's like you're you're trapped within it and and that was all good and well and there's a few there's a death scene in there I really like which when I first watched the film I had no clue what even happened but <laughs> it's when there's those sticks and she pulls it and it snaps and the girl's like a voodoo doll back just snaps backwards and she's just dead um but then it all pays off in the last ha- like the last half an hour where they get to that house and you really start to see imagery of the witch and I found it terrifying like there's little because there's the little story they tell I don't know if this story was told in the original or not but there's a story they tell in this one where they hung her up by the tree and they attached weights to our arms and it stretched her arms out so when you see the witch very briefly in the forest when they're running away you can see this figure that's just got the elongated arms that's kind of coming out, and it just looks so creepy. Um, and then when you get into the house, it's almost like it's doing its own version of the original, but in a very different way once you're back in that house. And then you realise, because the film's quite smart, you realise that what you see at the beginning of the film is actually from the end of the film, where they're running through the house, and it, for a brief second in the mirror, you see a reflection of the, the witch in the mirror, um, and it ties it full circle. It's almost as in it's just in some giant time loop. Um yeah, it's like a really complex film for what it, for what it was, like and for what people thought it would be. It ended up being quite inventive with what it was trying to do, and even if it didn't necessarily work for some people in some ways, I feel like it's. I, I like the fact that they really went there, and like we were saying before about if you're gonna do a sequel or re remake, doing something different with it, I feel like they did take what Blair Witch was, kind of did paid their respects to what the original was and did those things, but also really tried something new with that. 
and you do get the final scene with the girl and the man stood against the wall like the original. Yeah. Um, and they use smart use of that video camera to see her to flip it around. So she's kind of filming her face. And behind her, you can see for a brief second, the witch. And um, the guy then turns around, gets killed. And then she's backing, backing her way out. Because if you look at the witch, you die. And then she hears the voice of the guy that just died. And it's the witch playing with her. She turns around, she dies. And I thought, I thought it was such, such an effective <laughs> and a cold way to end the film. In a way, like I said, is honouring that original, but doing it in a different way. Yeah, I think it's Joe Berlin who directed it. There's, there's a scene in it I can remember. Now, I, I, I say this with a, all honesty. I have been wanting to re-watch this sequel because I haven't seen it for... I mean, it came out in 2000. I haven't seen it probably for about 15 years. And one of the, one of the only scenes I remember is... I don't know if you can remember it, but one of the girls is jumping on a bed frantically. Do you remember that scene at all? Or am I it's the original. The original. The second, the, the, the sequel. Uh, I don't know what happened. She's like on a bench. She's just freaking out, jumping around. I'm, I'm sure I remember it. I can't remember. <laughs> Even though I, just, I, I can't. I might remember. be making. I may actually just be making it up. But I swear, in my head, she's kind of like. I don't know if she's possessed or something, or like the spell or whatever's. Oh, gone you're to talking her. about the second Blair Witch film, not the. So yeah, sorry, one. Blair Witch Two. What was it called? Oh, Blair, I haven't seen Book, that one. I Book of Shadows. Seen... Oh, I haven't seen that one. No, I've only seen. Oh, the sorry, yeah. Good one. Oh, the, yeah, the new. Well, the newer Blair Witch. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that one. Um, sorry, the second one. Yeah, that was. Uh, but um, yeah, there was a scene in it where there's a girl jumping on a bed. Well, there's a scene in it for you. There's jumping on a bed, going mental. But yeah, the, yeah, the recent Blair, which I thought it was alright. Again, it's one of those things where I wanted, I wanted it to be amazing, and I ended up with it just being pretty damn good. So I'm, I'm happy with that, and I agree with what you said. They, they tip their cap to the original, but there's no point remaking the same film over and over again, especially when. One is successful and well known as the Blair Witch Project. No point redoing it. Just take elements of it and make your own film out of it, which, which is what they did, and I'm glad that they did. So, Blair Witch Project is my number three, and I know that people have a well, like yourself, have a love hate relationship. Some people love it, some don't like it. But we're now entering our our top two each. So, uh, number two, Terrell, take it away. This one is It Follows, so it's a much more recent one. Um, and this is a film that, like, this, for a very long time, up until just a few months ago, was my definitive number one favourite horror film. And I, up until that point, thought it was the best horror film of this generation. Um, and I, I, it feels, feels to me like the film itself has such a classic uh, feel to it, as if it were, like, an 80s film, um, but with, like, a modern spin. Um, even though if I remember correctly, you never really find out what time period the film's actually set in. It's got a weird thing about it where it's almost like a dreamlike sensibility where you don't really, it's almost like all the characters are in some sort of dreamlike trance because yeah. it looks like a film that's set back in the eighties. But then one of the characters has like almost like a Kindle kind of the flip phone um, thing. Yeah. And it's like, the shell. where, where are we time wise? But the concept of this film, I think is, is just such an inventive one that it, that is very core. It's not necessarily original because it's almost like Final Destination, but the way in which they kind of spin it kind of makes it feel... It almost makes me feel like what we were saying with the Nightmare on Elm Street and the dream thing, like you could do something different with it, but it's always going to lead back to that original thing. I'm not saying that Final Destination is the original concept for that type of idea, but mm -hmm. for, for me, that Final Destination are films that I watched a lot when I was young as well. It's like a guilty pleasure for franchise. And I couldn't help but think that 
It Follows kind of had a similar, not in terms of the film as a whole, but conceptually, similar thing with that kind of chain reaction of death and one person is going to die here and it's going to come down and catch the next person. But the way in which they used the kind of, um, the way in which through sexual intercourse that occurs made it fresh and different, but also a metaphor for almost like a teaching people a lesson in a, in a way. Yeah, you have um, sex, you die. Yeah, <laughs> it's like <laughs> in passing on diseases and things like that. So I thought, I thought it did that pretty well. But, it's a hell of an STD to pass on. <laughs> but it was, it, was, it was effective in how just the dread. That film had from the first scene dread and it never let up till it finished for me. Like that, and I, I remember when did it come out 2015 i remember here in 2015 yeah i remember here in the previous year when it was at some film festivals that this was the film to watch for the next year and i just remembered that i didn't bother read what the film was about and never watched the trailer and when it came out i remember going with my friend to our local independent cinema because that's the only cinema that was showing it and watching it and from the moment that first scene happened i just knew this is going to be something interesting it might, it might not be great but this is going to be interesting because the way that 360 shot starts off and it's just spinning around that street and the girl runs out the house and she's running in a circle and then runs back into the house, comes out, gets in the car, drives off. And it's like, what is even going on? Like the film's yeah. not introduced you to anything. It's just madness straight from the beginning. And you're on edge when you don't even know what you're even on edge from and what's going on. And and then it, that scene ends brilliantly with just that cut to her on the beach and her legs like just snapped, bent back, like snapped backwards. Yeah. And it's like, right, what even happened to her? <laughs> like, like, it's like, um, <laughs> and then I think the film introduces the audience into its concept in a very, good way where you have the two the two characters going to the cinema and or the theater or whatever and the guy's talking and you don't suspect a thing really to begin with but when they're playing with that that game where they're talking about um i think it's like who would you hate to be or whatever it is and they're pointing out people and he points out someone she turns around and she's like who and he's like that person over there and yeah he's, he's, he, she can't see it and then you start to see the fear on his face it's like okay something's something's afoot here <laughs> and and how that all changes and then you get the scene of course where he kind of gives the little bit ex exposition and lets her know what's really going on after he's kind of passed it on and then from that moment on there the film just takes it takes off and it, it doesn't stop like it just doesn't stop with the with the dread with that constant sense of what i like about the film a lot is how in every single shot there's people walking everywhere and you just don't know <laughs> you don't know who yeah, yeah. who's real what's the thing and there's moments where you'll see someone walking towards the camera and it's like, that must be it. It's not. And that whole kind of paranoia aspect, I think, worked really well for the film. Two things before I give my overall thoughts on it. The first one is, at the very end, again, spoilers, you haven't seen the film, but at the very end, when they're holding hands walking off, there's somebody walking behind them. Yeah. Are they, is, is that death, if you will? And secondly, if, if I was next and I flew to Australia... Would I still be able to? Would would that, would would that death still be able to follow me? That's an interesting one. That one. <laughs> Sorry if I would have no clue. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> um. Even with the first question, actually, I can't remember what my initial thoughts were. I haven't watched it in a while. I didn't even notice it, it was, the first time I saw it. it really. It was an interesting thing because it was that kind of thing where it's like, oh, it's it's sorted now. We're fine. Mm -hmm. And and then once again, it's just how brilliant that concept works. Like Nightmare on Elm Street with dreaming and people sleeping. You go outside, yeah. there's people walking towards you all the time. And it's that thing where it's like, oh, wait, but is it, is it fine? Is, is that person a person or is that person the thing? And it's right behind you and you just not, you just don't know. I think it's just such a genius concept and how it's effectively done. And the film has a moment. In fact, there's two moments now, which I've just remembered and I completely forgot about, but that were so effective. Um, and the score is partially because of the score, which I think is fantastic. Um, 
it, it, they both happen in the house. And there's one where you've got like this cheerleader. I can't remember what is really going on in the scene, but it cuts to a cheerleader who's walking towards them. And she's kind of like, she almost looks zombified the way, the way she is. But it's the, the intensity of the music when that happens, when she's in the house mm-hmm. with them. That's really, really freaky. And then the film has a genius moment where it flips the expect my expectations anyway of how a typical commercial horror film would do a scene with a jump scare. Because I almost rolled my eyes watching the scene thinking, oh, you're really going to do this? And they didn't. Well, they no, they didn't, to be honest. You had a scene where the girl's in the room, terrified, and there was the knocking on the door. And you're like, oh, don't open that door. It's going to be... It's gonna be the thing and and she opens the door and it's the friends and it's like oh it's all it's all fine it's just the friends and then you just get this weird bizarre tall man come out of the shadows yes under the side of the door and it's just terrifying because it comes out of nowhere and i don't think there was even a music cue for it the girl was just stood in the doorway and you just see him emerge out the shadows and it it was just that's a blood like blood run cold moment where it's like chills (laughs) you just get chills you don't need a loud bang or anything it was just the imagery sold that completely because you thought it it, the film made you think it was going to do one thing with the cheap scare it didn't do it so you thought you were past it and i didn't really see any other way that they were going to implement a scare into that particular moment and then they just did that and it caught me off guard completely yeah sometimes you don't need music you could just rely on what's happening in the scene in front of you and that is one of them the first time i saw this film i wasn't i was i thought it was just all right I, certain parts irked me a bit it, on rewatching it I have warmed to it a lot more and do and I do think it's a very decent, very good modern horror film even though it's kind of set I don't know like the cars the car looks like it's from the 70s you've got these vintage playing cards you've got that strange e-reader shell thing That's everything the thing. on it's the television it looks cool though everything on TV is within the film looks vintage so in my head it's just a kind of sort of set in this strange pseudo 70s world but I like the concept of it, that the fact that you you can never feel safe again, basically, because yeah, you could pass it on, but who's one to say day it will the, come back? <laughs> yeah, who's to say you could do it, and then twenty years later, what? One of the main the main thing that got me the first time was it's Micah Monroe who is the lead female, and she is obviously she's a she's a good looking young girl. During the film, she's worried about being able to pass the curse on, and. Part of me thought, I wish they'd cast somebody different so I could have believed in the plight a bit more, if that makes sense. Without meaning to... Yeah, I see what you mean. Without meaning um, to say, oh, let's just cast a quote-unquote ugly person, because absolutely not what I mean. But Micah Monroe, I mean, I'm pretty sure she could have... In, in the, within the film, she could have found somebody. And there's Captain Friendzone, which was Paul, her, yeah. her best mate, who kept trying. <laughs> yeah. And, well, you, yeah. yeah, I mean, <laughs> just give it to him and let him be done with it. But... um. I so but there's nothing wrong with her performance because she's a very good actress. I like Michael Nye. She's on um hot summer uh, long hot summer nights this year. And it's very good in that for what she had. But I like her as an actress. But there was that part for me. I did think that casting wise, I struggled a bit. But in on rewatching it, once I got past that, I took it for what it was and enjoyed it a lot more. Yeah, I like what I liked. It's the mystery that the film created. Like you say, you don't know what these what's going on. That first shot with that wonderful panoramic shot is awesome. And then you find a woman on the beach and you think, Jesus, leg day was hard for yeah. her. And then, and then you got like scenes where they're in a school and there's this old woman in a nightie. Yeah, that's a great scene. That, that reminds me of Halloween. Yeah. It reminds, yeah. This shape, basically, walking towards them. 
and because you, you say you never know what, where it's going to come from, what's going to happen. And there's that other scene where they're on the beach, happen. actually, where they're on the beach and in the background you can see some. Are they on the beach? No, it's not yeah, the beach. They, it's where they're on. They're having a picnic or whatever on the grass. Yeah, she gets into a car and just titles it. And and you can see someone walking towards them for the whole time, and mm. the person walks past. The, the walks past them, but it's just that you're so nervous because you can see it, and it's so like there in the background. For you to notice and watch, and you're just watching that, that the whole time instead of the actors, and then it walks past. And you're like, oh, it's, it's not yeah, person. But it's so well done. And like you mentioned, Halloween, yeah. the, the director is it uh, Robert David Robert Mitchell. He yes. he, owed, he, yeah. he would have owed John Carpenter a drink or so because he does take some inspiration. But what what where's the problem with taking inspiration in you know masters of the genre? But yeah, I liked it. I liked that it had it maintained the air of mystery. It didn't fall into the trap of Exposition or over-explaining anything, and because for me that takes away a lot of the fear factor. When you know what's following or what the what what is following you, where it came from, and the origins, blah blah. Yeah, that's the I thing. Think, where... You know, I don't want to see that. I like the fact that you just went straight in. You don't know what's going on. They tell you, well, you find out that if you have sex, you become cursed, and the only way to stop yourself essentially being followed by death is to have sex with somebody else and pass it on. So if you've got a lot of enemies, you know, get jiggy. But um, yeah. <laughs> that that's your basic plot. So, but they they didn't spend half an hour of the film going through that, and you knew that was what was happening. So I like that. But yeah, I upon reevaluation of it, I do think it's one of the better horror films to come out uh, in the whatever you call this decade, the tens. I think it's very good. It looks great. It's well acted. It's got a well. It also feels like a throwback as well. We went to the Conjuring. This feels like a film, not just in looks, but it feels like a film that could have been made. What? 20, 30 odd years ago, maybe. That's the thing. It's got that. It has got that Nightmare on Elm Street kind of concept to it, where it's, it just feels so, in a way, in a way, timeless, but not timeless at the same time, which yeah. is a strange thing to say. But it, yeah, it's got that quality to it, where it just feels like a proper high concept horror film that could have been made back then, quite easily, and be still as effective, whether it was then or now, and just work well. Because even if Nightmare on Elm Street came out this year for the first time it would still be effective because that concept of sleep is something that will always be there this is a uh, you unfortunately if anyone out there isn't doesn't realize spoiler but people have to sleep so yeah. <laughs> it's just something you have to do so it's yeah like you're, you're dead you're dead spot on there if you do somebody fine but death is gonna follow you and you don't yeah. know you don't know if the person who you've you know had a night with has passed it on five ten fifteen times if they've been killed, wherever they might be, and is it coming back for you, you never, ever know. So it kind of has that, you're always looking over your shoulder uh, vibe to it, and you put yourself in the shoes of those characters, it's, it would be terrifying. Very, very much so. <laughs> well, that was number two, excuse me. That was number two for Terrell. I'm glad to see a, a modern film getting in there, because I imagine a lot of people, with nothing wrong with that, would have a, would have the classics at the top there, um, which I may be guilty of at some point yeah. <laughs> yeah, number two for me is a French film um, we've spoke Terrell's mentioned the Giallo uh, Giallo Italian filmmaking and what you get from that mine is a French film from 2007 called Inside or A l'Intérieur if you are from across the channel or if you can't do French accents it's <laughs> Inside it's called it's directed by Julianne Maury and Alexandre Bastillo <sighs> The noughties was just a French revolution for horror films. I've mentioned Martyrs, you've got Inside, you've got High Tension, Frontiers, you've got so many horrifically good and horrifically like visceral 
horror films came out of France and they really led the way. And this one is it's like the cinematic equivalent of being hit by a truck. It is one of the most, as a V word, viscerous, intense movies I've ever seen. The first time I saw this, I made there were scenes in it which made me look away from the screen, and I never do that unless it's a scene with like somebody getting a, having a blood test because I'm scared of needles <laughs> to, to the point of passing out. But I could have watched certain scenes in this film, and I'm not one who needs to see gore, blood, guts, blah blah. I'm not that all into that, but this Jesus, it's it's intense, but it's also so beautiful to watch cinematically. It's a piece of art that's unsettling, it's moving, and it's stunning all at the same time. And it's all set within pretty much one house. They do venture out at the beginning, but and it's only a couple of main... There's two main characters, really, but it's all about the craft and the storytelling. Essentially, the main female lead is Alison Paradis. She is... In the beginning, we see the aftermath of a you know devastating-looking car crash. And we find out that her husband was killed in the crash, but her and her unborn child have survived. And we get a few shots of her going through her pregnancy very quickly, having her test. She's obviously sullen, she's withdrawn, she's heavily depressed because her husband has died. And then Christmas has come in, it's Christmas Eve. She's getting picked up in the morning by her employer slash admirer. She's going to pick her up in the morning, she's going to have Christmas Day there. Lovely, she gets some turkey. But on Christmas Eve... She's but alone and alone, and she gets a knock on the door, and it's just a woman in black standing there. And cut things short, she wants to get into the house, and she wants the baby that's inside her stomach. She will do anything to get that baby out of that woman. Um, and she's only got a few days left of her labour of her pregnancy anyway, of her term. But it's the the woman in black. That's all she's known as. The woman in black is Beatrice Dala, and fuck me, she is incredible in this. Beatrice Dala, for those who don't know, is a is a French actress. She's been she's been around for a long time, but she has a, she has a reputation as being someone incredibly hard to work with because of her attitude, her behaviours. She's almost like an like a punk rocker as an actress. She just doesn't give two monkeys. But she is just a force of nature in this film. It's she's intimidating, daunting, and she barely says anything during the whole film. She barely says anything, but when she does, they deliver perfectly. But what the film does is it it's hard to try not to say too much about it. I don't want to say too much because I know that Tyrell, I don't believe you've seen it, but for those who No, yeah, I'm going to watch that soon. It sounds interesting because it, it, it sounds, once again, like one of those things, like that idea, I think that's the thing that pregnant people do fear. And it, it, it sounds weird in a way, like someone coming for the unborn child. But yeah. I'm, I'm sure those fears do actually exist. It's it, set about a, real, a true story because it happened in the United States where... Um, somebody broke into a pregnant woman's house and extracted a child, shall we say. So it's kind of loosely based on those events, which is absolutely yeah. horrifying to think of. But what the film does well, this film, is it creates the atmosphere. It is... It, it, oh, I don't want to say too much because I don't want to spoil it, but you know, the, 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 it's tense. The the, what, the techniques used are very simple and effective, like the way it's, everything's lit, the colour palette. We've mentioned Suspiria. This is in no way on that level, but the way that the colours are used in this film and are offset against sort of the griminess are, it to me anyway, it's beautiful to look at in a horrific way. There was a, there's a couple of things towards the end. One one thing in particular towards the end, which was a, which drew me out very slightly, but otherwise this is an absolutely ferocious film. The two leads are incredible. It's a defining moment in French horror for me. 
and it's one film that I can watch again and again and still feel threatened by. I still feel it's it's it just it's stayed to me since I first saw it. And the first time I saw it, it affected me. Not in a way that I cried in my bedroom, but you know, I just laid there in my bed thinking, just Jesus. unsettled. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a film. I it's funny because it's a film you don't want to watch again, but I I, I watch I I always rewatch it. It's just haunting. It's a motive, kind of poignant bit of art, but I don't know. You'll probably watch it and think it's shit, but um, I thought it was. I'm, I'm intrigued I... by the concept of it. To be fair, it does sound very. It sounds like something that you. I'd feel like it would have been done many times before, but probably isn't. It sounds quite unique in the way that it's 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 executed by the sounds of it and the story itself. Because, and then like I said, that I it's like a. I don't know. If primal's the the right word, but like this this primal fear of yeah. what, you know your child that you're. You're, you know, that you're going to give birth to is going to be taken from you before you can give on. birth. Yeah, it's like that's that's a dark, very dark kind of thing to to base it around. Yeah, and the French or international studios, or should just call them film studios, because there are studios happening in Hollywood, of course. But the French don't hold back in the sense of that. You know, they're obviously just given a budget and told go and make your film. You know, do whatever you want. We're not going to the studio. We're not going to get involved with what what you do. Just deliver us a very good film. That's all we ask, and you can see that it. That's why these films, certainly in that last decade, are so effective because they they don't hold back. They tell the story they want to. They go where they need to, and there's there's no fear of any kind of audience reprisal. This film was remade as well by the by Hollywood, and everything that made this French original version so haunting and so Gone. powerful. It's gone, and it's always it, the way. <laughs> yeah, because we've mentioned that there's so many good remakes. This isn't one of them. And another film I love, another handheld film is Wreck. They did that as Quarantine, and that was Pap yeah, as well. That was a Spanish. For some reason, film, when but... America get hold of an international film, it's just it's for the for the sake of just trying to rob a concept and just quick make making some quick money off it. Is how it seems because it doesn't seem like it carries the same kind of inventive inspiration. That that the original filmmakers would have had when they made their version. Yeah, I and mean, like I say, the the French and the Italians and the Spanish. I mean, I think it's uh, La Fabrique, the films. I'm mean, not sure how. I'm not too clued up on that studio, but and BR films. But there, you can tell there's no there's no studio interference in this film. Whereas if this film was if this film was presented to on the Universal, Warner Brothers, 20th Century Fox, even Lionsgate, um, maybe not to mention who distributed this internationally but if if this film in its finished format was presented to them they're cut they're cutting it they're changing say, it yeah. can you change it so i mean when you watch it you'll understand what i mean but i hope i haven't oversold it but for me it's uh it's I'm something definitely else. intrigued by it it's especially i mean it intrigues me even more the fact that it's not an american film as well because i do i do think there's a lot of especially after how much i went into the italian genre like uh, there's a lot of foreign horror films that are just so effective and well done that a lot of people will just never know about because they're not easy to either see or find and or to even learn about, to be honest. So, yeah, yeah. I'm really intrigued. And lots of people don't like subtitles, which always yeah, baffles me to an yeah, extent. Yeah, that does my head in. <laughs> like, I'll watch subtitles with English stuff when I don't really need to, but I'll have them there just, you know, just in case something's flying past my ear, but then I can catch it on screen. <laughs> like, exactly. Like... I know. And I, you know, sometimes, sometimes you're in a room, you might have your missus there. She might be talking yeah. or eating too loud. Do you think, you know, and you're too polite to say, look, calm down, quiet down a bit, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're not, you're not stupid. You don't want to get, you don't want to be in the dark for the rest of the night. <laughs> yeah. So you put the subtitles on, but yeah, I mean, this is obviously subtitle, but if anybody out there hasn't, 
checked it out, watched it. For those who have heard it, I'd imagine most of you have probably been nodding your, I hope you're nodding your head in agreement about the why I've set it up because it is a, it is one of those things that if you do enjoy, which I hope you do when you watch it, Tyrell, uh, it could or should probably stay with you. If it doesn't, then that's obviously, that, obviously everything's subjective, but for me, it just stayed with me. But number two for me then was inside. So, drum roll, we're getting up to the, we're getting to the business end now. So, number one for me and Tyrell. So, Tyrell, if you'd like to go first with your number one horror movie. My number one is out on Blu-ray tomorrow. <laughs> Hereditary. <laughs> um, and yeah, this film, this film shocked me. Like I, I remember January time hearing that it, I remember seeing a poster on Instagram. I think it was when a 24 first started promoting it and it premiered at Sundance. I think it was. Yes. And there was just those rave reviews that came out kind of like what we're getting for Suspiria. And I thought, right. Okay. That could be a, a special film on our hands. Go on, go on lockdown. Try not to read up about it. Um, I did read this a basic synopsis, but that synopsis really didn't give much information. It just kind of said about a family kind of, uh, hereditary thing going on in a family that's causing problems. And um, I did watch the trailer, something I didn't usually do, uh, do usually do with horror films. But I did watch the trailer when it first came out, and I didn't, I didn't think the film looked great. I didn't think it looked terrible either. It was just kind of okay. That's the trailer. That's the story. And I quickly kind of deleted it out of my mind and kind of because I didn't want to remember any of what I saw. And I'm glad I didn't actually because when I watched the trailer back, there is still quite a bit in the trailer that I glad I didn't remember when I was watching the film. <laughs> um, but when yeah, when I finally came time to watch the film, I don't know. I don't. Well, actually, I do know what I was expecting. I was expecting a film because of the genius marketing to be centered around this girl. I thought it was going to be a typical kind of, not well, not in a typical sense, but I thought it was going to center around that kind of convention in horror <laughs> of the creepy child, sinister things are going on with this child, and it's all about the child, <laughs> and we're focusing on that. So watching the film. It starts off that way, and I thought, okay, that's this is what it is. I'm following it along. It's very well made, very well shot, framed. The camera movements are great. And then, I'm going to guess 20, 25 minutes into the film, a scene happens that just, like, slapped me in the face, basically. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, wake, like, it wakes you up. Like, it, 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 was, it was so... Oh, I don't even know how to describe it. Like, it... it, it just sh- it shocked me like no other scene has, I think, ever. Brutal. Like, like, and it, it made me anxious, it made me nervous, and it made me so confused. And I was, I was so confused, like, so confused, like, <laughs> of what was going on. And I, I'm going to have to spoil it. So if you haven't seen Hereditary, watch it, and then come back and listen. Um, but there's this whole aspect of the film of the girl's got an allergy. Um, she eats a bit of a cake, which kind of starts to close her throat. The brother, she's at a party with her brother. Brother then uh, frantically driving, like, on... I don't know what you call it in America. Is it the... Oh, I can't remember what they call it. Uh, it's just a main, it was an a, a main road, I guess. Yeah, just, just a main road in kind of like a Not desert area. Not yeah. Yeah. Um, and going at a frantic pace, she's opening the window to try and get some air. Um, her sticks her head out the window, and something's in the road he swerves and all of a sudden bang the head hits a pole a telephone pole and then the car comes to a stop and it was the the, the build-up of the music in that scene and how frantic that was and the whole scene and the energy of it stops stops dead when that head just bang and then the car stops and the music stops and everything stops and you're just looking at <laughs> alex, alex wolf 
sat there and I, I think this scene works so well because the director just left it to sit there and let you sit there with him in that moment whereas a lot of other directors I think they would have cut to the reveal of what just happened mm -hmm. much quicker but we, I've, I want to say a good 30 seconds the camera's just on him as he's breathing trying to comprehend what's just occurred but can't actually come to terms what, with what, what uh, might just have occurred and doesn't want to face what's just occurred doesn't want to even turn around to really see if that's really what's happened and as an audience member I had no clue what really happened I was like is she just knocked out somehow <laughs> like in the back <laughs> yeah. of the car what? did she get back in the car yeah like what where is she what's going on and you don't even get the resolution he just drives off and I'm like and that confused me more I was like so she's fine like what's going on he pulls up to the house gets out and I'm, I'm the first time I watched the film I thought he got out and took her out of the car and brought her into the house but he actually didn't um gets out goes in and then as if this whole scene wasn't bad enough the thing that really got me and it actually upset me like the film upset I was almost on the brink of tears watching the scene is knowing quite early on what the mother was going through in the film mentally to then have her walk outside the next morning to her car and then you, you kind of suspect what she might find and the scream that she oh. gives off like just ran through me and then the cries that's so, the probably the best crying i've ever seen an actor do it just runs cold through me and it's so effective and so disturbing but so upsetting at the same time and you get the cut the shot then the cuts and it's like mm. this entire time we don't know what's going on boom the there's a on the highway that's what's happened there's ants an ants it, and it's like oh my god like and, and then that entire scene was crazy as it was but then what i then realized this film has just flipped what i thought it was on its head because we're only 20 minutes in i thought this film was about the girl and solely on her what's the rest of this movie so i <laughs> yeah. it just threw me into the unknown and i didn't know what was coming next with the film then and then what the film then decides to go with in the direction it takes. I think it was just, it was so pure in its depiction of, I feel like mental struggle and the, the effects that can have on a family overall with loss and grief and how people deal with those things. And there's another scene in the film at a dinner table, which I think might be the most oh, distressing yeah. scene in the, the whole film, aside from this, this other one. And it's just people talking, but it's so uncomfortable. And, and, you know anxiety inducing watching this family talk when they're it's all just a broken relationship and they're all snapping at each other and people are yelling at each other just verbally but it's terrifying the man the way in which it's being done but also the expressions on tony collette's face as she's doing it um i could go on for ages about this film because is <laughs> almost <laughs> i remember saying when it came out i think there's like five six scenes that i can consider to be probably be iconic in the future for the genre there's a dream sequence that threw me off completely because of the way it was edited and yes. the way it was done. It, and that creeped the hell out of me. And I, this film just made me so anxious to the point of just feeling sick in my stomach. And when it got towards the end, I actually kind of wanted the film to end just because I couldn't deal couldn't with that. It. It was, yeah. And that, that I mean, that dream sequence is where she's once again, it's, it's, it's all rooted in the drama of the family because it's in this dream well, I can't remember if this is part of the dream or not, but she tells him... There's things she's saying to him, yeah. Yeah, that he was an accident. She didn't want him. And it was just the brute force of that statement to this person who's already 
broken down because of what he's already had to go through in the film so far. And now that's just hit him. And they're going back and forth, going back and forth. And then the camera suddenly cuts. And I think it's the ambient noise of the room just stops dead and a lighter match goes off and she's crying. And it's the intensity of her crying with the light flickering off her face. And it's like so much confusion of what you're even seeing. And then you realize it's a dream. And well, <laughs> so it's just, yeah. I can feel you shaking from here, man. <laughs> I've got three questions for you again. I, this is going to, this is, I like throwing questions at Terrell only because if you followed his Instagram for any any period of time, you'll know how deeply Terrell has gone into this film and how much he, how much he, well, how much passion he has for this film. The first question for, I'm going to throw through at you. Firstly, should Will uh, Tony Clip get a Best Actress nomination? Secondly, what was the screening like? What were the audience like in your cinema? And thirdly, did the ending work for you? Because that's the most contentious part, I think, for anybody. The Tony Collette thing, I think, I think still to this point right now, at this point in the year, I still think she should actually win. Like, I think, I think a nomination, I think it would be a crime if she doesn't get nominated. Um, I actually think Alex Wolf deserves nomination as well because I think he gave an underrated performance in that film. Because yeah, um, yeah. a lot of, yeah, I think because Tony Collette was so good and she was at the center. Well, they, they're almost equal footing in, in terms of who's the lead, in my opinion. But because she was kind of so the good. mother and the kind of, yeah, it was kind of based around her family line that's been brought into then her family that she's then brought forward um she's kind of the focus um what was the second question again sorry i forgot for the second what question was already. your uh, yeah what what was the reaction like in your in your screening when you was watching it and when the film was going on and on what were the audience like i think it was very it was just dead from what i remember i think it was just dead silent especially after that scene because i think there were a few gasps and I know my friends that I was sat next to when I was watching it, I could see them reacting in a similar way to I was. And it was kind of almost gripping your seat, kind of just in in awe of what's going on, but also just deeply unsettled and engrossed in what's happening. Um, it seemed like everyone was drawn in, which is a rare thing with a horror film, because usually you get those idiots that will just laugh at things that aren't funny and things like that. But everyone seemed drawn in. Um, even with some of the weirder stuff that goes on towards the end of the film, which I could kind of understand why some people would laugh. I don't think any, from what I remember, I don't think anyone in my screening did. Um, but about the ending, it, it worked for me. Um, and I don't know if that's mainly because I was so uncomfortable leading up to it. But I think how smartly the film constructs its narrative and puts the pieces in place, which you realize when you watch it again, um, that build up, I think it pays off very nicely. But the, the, the scene right before the very end with the mother. The camera work in that is some of the best I've seen for That's a in horror the basement, film. Is it? Um, yeah, like, and when she's in his room, because I didn't notice the first mm-hmm. time I watched the film. But there's a there's a moment in the film where she's in the, he's walked into the main area of the house and she's up in the corner, and that's quite yeah, obvious yeah. to see. But before then, she's in his room with him when he gets up, and I never saw that the first time. And the fact that I didn't, and then had to go back and see the film again and seen it the second time terrified me because it's just she's lurking in the corner of that room and the the shot is held for so long it's almost as to say look at look at it spot it spot it and i didn't (laughs) even notice it's the first time but it's one of those things that when you notice you cannot take your eye off it because when you see her you're watching her now not him because it's such a striking image and a thought of she's just up in that corner lurking just in the shadow enough to the point where the naked eye wouldn't necessarily spot that straight away and he was just asleep and 
you're asleep, you're vulnerable, and she was just up there. And now, she, and and then that's when it cuts to the other shot where she crawls along the wall, and uh, he gets out of bed. Um, but then it all kind of leads into that that moment in the attic, um, which the imagery in that is some of the most disturbing I've ever seen. Um, with uh, Tony Collette's character, well, we've spoiled enough anyway, but yeah, spoilers again. Um, yeah, and. I remember when he turns around and you just heard that noise and I just thought, what, what could that be? I, I didn't know what it could be, but what it was, was far worse than anything I could have possibly thought it would be. And it's the look on her face as she's doing it. It's the, it's the sound of that grating against her neck. And it's the sound of the blood splatter just splatting constantly on the floor. as She's doing it. And then the film does a, a thing with the sound again, where it, the sound kind of cuts dead. At the, at the peak of the intensity, he looks to the side and you've got these naked people that are throughout the film, like the cult members just stood there and he screams and runs, jumps out the window and dies. And it's that it all happened so quick that it's just overwhelming. And it made me feel so uncomfortable. But then the the very end, when he goes up into the, the tree house and uh, essentially the, the film kind of wraps itself up with that uh, idea of the ritual and that King Paimon was transferred into his body successfully, which is what, the whole purpose of the film was really, and you see the the beheaded, um, the grandmother, uh, Tony Collette's character, and uh, is her name Charlie? I think the little yes, girl, Charlie. and then the voice that's speaking, and it's, yeah, and that sound. <laughs> um, I yeah, the it was one of those things that when it when the film initially ended and I walked out, I was like, that's a very good film, very effective film, and I like that a lot. But I wasn't sure about the ending because I didn't think about it enough, and then as that same same day as i thought about it a bit more and then the next day it really started to settle and i was like yeah that was really really good and that was very very different how they did that and i i really liked what they did with the end if people don't like it because i know a lot of people don't i can kind of understand why but i think it wraps up that film in a very very great surreal way and then the, i think the very final shot is that treehouse looking like it's a model mm-hmm. and it's almost like surrounded by the darkness and it's just a model and yeah, I think it just wrapped up the film very nicely. But the film on a whole is was so distressing to watch. I've never had... Like I said, it just gave me anxiety. I've never had a film give me anxiety like that, like where I felt so uncomfortable. I, as much as I was enjoying it, wanted it to stop because I just felt it in my chest. <laughs> well, that's, inc- that's incredible <laughs> to hear that, that a film can do that. I mean... yeah. I'd heard all the hype, and I, I, it was the scariest film ever. And I heard that, and as I mentioned earlier on, I was trying. I never tried to listen to that because you were always going to be disappointed. Yeah. So it turns out that you weren't. Now, the reason I asked those three questions was firstly, I believe Tony Collette should at least be given a damn nomination because this isn't the Tony Collette we're used to seeing. Surely, I mean, yeah. the films she's been in previously. This is, I mean, she's channeled um, Shelley Duvall in The Shining. I think just. just that kind of level of... I mean, she, and yeah. she surpasses her, I think, as well, because Tony Collette is just a powerhouse in this film. Just that was the exact word just, I was just about to say myself. <laughs> like, it just came to my mind. Because I, I am King Pyman, and I'm watching... He's, um, he's at the deep grief, yeah, lost, the trauma. It all feels strikingly real in how it's portrayed in this film, and especially Tony Collette. Now, the reason I mentioned the theatre, the audience, because the one I was in was the worst I've ever been in I mean there were gasps when that moment happened when Charlie's head was lopped off and then as the, as the film got further towards the end I had, we had one idiot who was just narrating and shouting at the screen 
stuff. Let's just put it like that. He did like what he was watching, basically. And then there was laughter going off. And I get, I'm not going to sit here and be, you know, uh, Mr. Don't laugh and don't show your opinion. But come on, you're in a, you're in a cinema. Shut up. Let other That's people enjoy it. And I also think some people with that, it, like, I think laughter is a mechanism of defense against fear. And I feel like sometimes people laugh to make it feel, oh, this isn't scaring me. When deep down, I think it actually is. Yeah, a lot of people, I think, the same. Yeah, and they're trying to mask it up with some sort of front as if it's not, when it really is. <laughs> yeah, well, this bloke just looked like an idiot anyway when I saw him when he came out. But it was the ending. That's what I want to rewatch this film when it comes out, because the ending was essentially spoiled for me because just I couldn't f- f- fully engage with it because people just around me around. were people talking yeah. and and laughing and like mocking and I thought I can't I can't fully engage with it there's one there's one bit in the ending that would go on the treehouse which I probably could have done without and that's the scene where she floats into the where the treehouse now I could have done without that I'd rather have just appeared in the treehouse and then kind of almost oh, and then and then in my head I would have been left thinking Hold on, just now she's in the, the attic. There, yeah. Now she's in there. What's going on? I think that, for me that would have worked, but I need to rewatch that scene just to you know, let it wash over me properly without anyone, any idiots spoiling. And if you are one of those people, don't be an idiot. People pay to watch a film and enjoy it. Yes. It frustrates me in general, but when it's horror, I can't take it at all because those are the films I'm really... You have to be, like you said, you need to be fully engrossed with what you're watching to the point where if something's building suspense... And building a momentum, someone messing around is going to break that, and then that then ruins that experience of what's being built up within the film. Exactly. So that, the yeah, ending that really for me, me was so the ending didn't hit me as much as it obviously has done for you, because my experience with it was was, just was different. Completely. So yeah. I, I want to rewatch it when it comes out tomorrow. I'm going to pick it up on Blu-ray tomorrow and watch it, and you know, in the comfort of my own home when everyone's gone to bed, turn the lights off and just watch it and just. And just pull a Terrell, basically sit there and just get sucked <laughs> in by it, and by the end of it, be a mess, a mess of a wreck at the end of it. But before before all of that, I was I was sucked into all of it. I thought it was brilliantly shot. It was it led you in different ways which you weren't expecting. The acting was superb. The the, the techniques, like you mentioned, some of the techniques are incredible. Like the shot of Alex Wolf in the hallway is his mother Tony is Tony Glitz character oh, God, I forgot about that. wailing that, away and again that it just scared the hell out of me. Just lingers on him. And yeah, it's just it, it, so so simple, doesn't it? He looks so lifeless but so yeah. just just traumatized and it's just this almost like a silhouette of him just stood there listening to the the most horrific cries I've ever heard. And it's like what's going through his head right now? Like the, exactly. his it's head such is a simple gone. technique. Like it, yeah, there's and there's that whole little thing with the shimmer that goes throughout the film. You don't really know what that's really about until mm-hmm. you see the whole of it and you can then piece together what's going on because it comes in at certain moments. But the classroom scene freaked me out a lot as well. I thought that was done so well. That was one of the moments that I did remember from the trailer where you see his head smack down on the table. and it Bloody nose, yeah. And it still jolted me so much, even though I was waiting for it, watching it in the actual film. And the way... It, it, the thought of the demon trying to possess him, but unsuccessfully doing it, and it's kind of corrupting his body, like in in a way where he's kind of half himself and half not, and his arms going up in the air and his necks bending, and that whole scene was. And then another thing that Alex Wolf does in that film, his cries were very intense, but 
I, I know a lot of people and I've heard a lot of people found those funny. And to me, they weren't funny at all. I thought he'd done that really, really realistically in the way that he almost broke down as if he was a little boy. But it's yeah. how these scenarios are pushing him to that limit where he's breaking down like a child and sounding like a child when he's crying. Um, and the, the way he's calling for his mum in those situations. And But I thought that was also effective with how it was done. But I know that some people, yeah, find that find that a little bit funny and don't take it seriously. It just makes you wonder what levels I had to go to to get those kind of performances out because you can be a good actor, but you still have to sell grief. And that's probably the hardest thing to sell without seeming like you're parried in it or, or you're just not tapping it. into yeah. where you need to. Yeah, And to do that take after take as well, it's like how? Yeah, but I mean, maybe, maybe the takes they took were maybe maybe they've been doing these some of these scenes for hours and they were just emotionally yeah. drained. Maybe that's who knows, or maybe they're just bloody good actors. But there was a scene right at the beginning because the film doesn't the film doesn't mess about it. It gets its exposition and backstory out of the way very quickly. It drops it straight in. But there's a scene. It's after about three minutes in, and Tony Collette's character she goes into the into the attic, and oh, to yeah, look at her. So, yep. Yeah, to look at her mother's <laughs> belongings, basically. She's, you know, her mum's passed away. She's in a bit of shock. She's standing around her belongings and just sort of looking. And in the corner of the room, very, very... And it, the, the, the camera pans to it, but in the corner of the room, very sort of foggily and hastily, you could see, like, the silhouette of her mother. And that's the first moment, after about two minutes, where I literally sat and I said, fuck this. Because <laughs> I was like, yeah, Jesus. It's like, you, you've seen it so many times. That I but... like a lot, because, like I said... Jump scares, you don't need them. Like, the music was just amplifying very slow, not in a sudden way to make you jump, but it was just amplifying with its intensity as you're looking at this thing where it's like, wait, I see that there. No, there's and something there. The on, and then there's nothing there. And that happens again later on when the, yes. um, the boy thinks he's seeing his sister in the room. And that's such a genius thing because everyone's had a moment where you're in the dark in your room and you might think you just saw something and it's just something normal that's in your room, but the the way the light is coming through the window, maybe, and reflecting off of it, it looks like something else. And those moments were done so well with something that's so relatable that when I had seen the film and come out, I've had moments since watching that film where I'm still thinking I'm seeing something. And because I'm thinking I'm seeing something, I'm now thinking of that movie and, and the stuff in that film, and then I'm freaking myself out a little bit. <laughs> you can sleep well tonight, man. Yeah. <laughs> I certainly hope so. So well. Yeah, but I mean that that was after like two minutes of the film, and that kind of made me think, oh no, oh I'm gonna I'm gonna come yeah. out the wreck of this film. <laughs> but for me, it carried on on that kind of level of dread. Little there were things which were mentioned which paid off towards the end. So there was nothing that was really revealed that wasn't over that wasn't paid off towards the end. Got a shout out to Anne Dowd because she was again in a supporting role. She was fantastic yeah. as she is in most things she's in. But the ending for me, it. I'm not going to say it didn't work because I I want to watch it again to in in my own little zone to let it smack me in the face because I remember the imagery but because there's so much going on as I've mentioned it's very hard to be within really that moment take it in yeah and I feel that's one of those things where you need to be and I'm disappointed because everything that came before I knew it was building up to something and Ari Aster the director is a wicked wicked person because he's you know what he's created is something that's dark and disturbing and just his use of I believe shots. that's his first feature length film like it's crazy I don't know it's how amazing how will you use shots and techniques to for your first time to do that like I would if I if I was him and I just did that I'd be like I uh, how do I work <laughs> again like, well, I, I, possibly how can I possibly top what I've just done here 
It has to think, what what is he going to do next? Is he going to do a rom-com next to kind of cleanse himself? (laughs) I think I've heard he's doing another horror film, actually, which is exciting. But it's like, how do you... And maybe he is just one of those special people where he does create yet another thing where it's just on equal ground of how great it is. But that'll be hard. (laughs) It'd be interesting to see what comes up if he goes for something which is more character-based and atmospheric-based. Or if he goes for something a bit more conventional... He's definitely one to watch, but yeah, yeah. like we mentioned, the f- you know, Tony Collette is fearless. One to watch is hopefully come January when the nominations are announced. If she isn't in it, then the five actors who, who are named, God help them, they better be bloody good yeah. <laughs> in these next few months because you know there's a few fantastic performances this year for me, but Tony Collette is in that bunch. And unless in the next three months of the year we get a, you know, a fistful... <laughs> Oh, yeah, just, yeah, all of a yeah. sudden, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, well, I mean, I'd like to see... It's films like this, because I mean, A24 usually knock out of the park, and I have done here. I'd like to see films like this, smaller films, get more recognition, just because it's a horror film, you know, horror is looked down on a lot by the Academy. I'd like to see it get some love. It needs to change. Like, I, I think with this film, but like, I want it something to get a Best Picture nomination as well, and I think it deserves that. I think the sound stuff deserves it. Cinematography definitely deserves it. Um, I think there's a lot that it, it it ought to have nominations for to be recognised for. And I think the the stigma of horror, like if you think of like Friday the Thirteenth and things like that, mm-hmm. that's why they won't pay attention to horror films at the okay. awards. But this film is just a well made film, like in general, and it's not even a conventional horror in that sense because it is a family drama and it's focused so much on it. The drama and the, a lot of intensity from the performance in the drama, which is the stuff that those Oscar films usually have. So it's got all the makings of what they usually would nominate, but it just happens to be, you know, horror as well and have those elements. Yeah, you've absolutely took the words out of my mouth. We're on the same level here because you get because you get utter naff, utter mints like Slender Man coming out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> people think horror film. Well, Slender Man is a horror film, or Truth or Dare, or Winchester. But then you get something like this, which is horror in name. It's a it's a psychological th- drama, thriller, mystery film with horror sprinkled in. It's a bit of it's everything basically. As I say, it's got it's got like it has this supernatural element. But to me, and why it works so well for me, because a lot of horror films have supernatural elements affect me at all. Is the true horror of that film is actually the, the grief and the loss and what that's doing to the minds of those people as they're just shattering in front of each other and that family cannot hold together as a unit to help each other within this moment of grief and loss and that's the true horror of this movie and it's a true horror that can just then be tossed into the real world with what humans can face yeah performance wise it's it's fantastic you've mentioned the sins that's in the cinematography the sound is is superb in this film i mean there's so many Things that got that has got going for it, and obviously narratively, what screenplay wise, it's very good. I mean, just is will it get overlooked because it's a quote unquote horror film? In my head says probably, but it shouldn't do. This yeah. is a film that I know. I know you shouldn't live and die by whether a film gets a nod, but it is always gratifying to see a film that you like, which you think is deserving of a genre which doesn't usually get an awful lot of love in these academy it is always gratifying to notice that the wider world has recognized it for what it is and not just a, a another hokey horror film which it isn't so hopefully fingers crossed to get something because it know it deserves it and i know if terrell was head of the academy it would sweep the, yep. sweep the <laughs> yeah. well 
My number one is a film that did get some love from the Academy, and if anyone's watched, listened to any of the shows, you won't be surprised by this, but this is also a film which Hereditary was, it was um, compared to in certain aspects, and I've gone into detail as to why I can see what it has been, but my number one is The Exorcist from 1973, William Friedkin's, for me, masterpiece. It, it, I mean, what shall I say that hasn't been said before? <laughs> it it I mean, if you're going to compare it to Hereditary, it works on the performance level. It works on the human level because this is about essentially a priest who's losing <laughs> losing his religion, a grief-stricken mother, and obviously the plight of Reagan, the young girl. It there's so many subplots going on. It is shot wonderfully. I love the story. I love the way it looks. I love the practical effects in it. The music all the way through, not just tubular bells, is is excellent and. This is a film where I can sit back and just watch and just study like the deeper theological, the deeper meanings, the religious iconography, it, everything. I the film floors me from the first time I saw it, and I think everybody knows it is the film that got banned in the United Kingdom and many other places, or the film where the girl does naughty things with the crucifix and the head turns around and that. Those things to me are the bonus parts of the film. For me, the, what the film works on is how it builds up the tension and the dread, and it's a slow-burning film that escalates from that first opening prologue in Iraq to when you get to Georgetown, and everything just ramps up ever so slowly. And yes, you get those moments of horror with the head turning around, the crucifix scene, uh, the the, and then you get a horrible scene where they when she's having the uh, in in the surgery of the needle going through her neck. I can't think of the for the procedure. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but this, it's the way that the that freaking and Blatty, Bunny Peter Blatty, God rest his soul, who wrote this, cr- create the tension through the brilliant stories that the uh, the characters have. It's for me, it's mind blowingly good. Um, and there's like little moments in it. One moment that scared that still scares the living pap out of me is you've got Lee J Cobb, uh, Detective Kinderman, who's outside the McNeil house. He's watching the house. They don't know he's there, but he's just kind of doing his own surveillance. Father Karras has left. He's been in Reagan's room. We know, she's tied to the bed. She's tied down. She's in full demon form. But she's tied to the bed. She's not going anywhere. But when he leaves, we see Kinderman look up to where Reagan's room is. And the light's on. And there's this, this silhouette of someone standing there. And it doesn't walk. It just floats out of shot from the window. And you can see the look on the detective's face. And he's just like, what the, what the hell? And that scene is one of the most scary of the whole film for me, considering what goes on. I don't even know if I... I need to do, now I'm intrigued to go back and look at that again, because I, I can't think of a memory of that moment. About 66, 65% of the way through the film. It's when it's when Father Karras goes to see Reagan, tries to record her, so he can prove that she, that she can speak in another language, and so he can take it to the Vatican, basically, to get church approval for this exorcism. But it's... She's and we see, no, we see she's tied to the bed, but it's just one of those moments we think, oh, it sends shivers down his spine. Something is up in that room, and Ellen Burstyn's character even says something like, "That thing in my room is not my daughter." And uh, because I've spent a lot of time with this film, I watched it. I watch. I can watch it all the time. I know the backstory of it, how it came to be. I've read the book, all of them, including. I've even sat through the second Exorcist. The third one's excellent, but. And how it was made, and just everything about it, and all of it just comes together for me, just to create a just a masterpiece in storytelling, let alone horror. 
and some of the scenes are iconic. Obviously, the the uh, the scene of Father Merrin as he approaches the house, bathed in bathed in the light of the room, almost like God's light coming down on him. I mean, probably it won, the most iconic horror like image ever. It's, probably it's amazing. I've got it framed on the wall. It's with a couple of other pro posters. It's just amazing. I mean, it won this one best director for Friedkin. No, sorry, sorry, he was nominated for best director. Should have won it. The Sting won. Uh, best picture. This was nominated for that. Didn't win. Should have done because I'm biased. But it did win best uh, writing. So basically, basically, best adapted screenplay and best sound. So it did get some love. And it's the first horror film to be nominated for best picture. And I still believe it should have won that year because it was a better film than The Sting, which was a fantastic film. But I don't know. For me, I could like you with Hereditary. I could go on for for decades about why this film works for me and i know lots of people watch it and they say it's not scary or it's very funny but that's my that's... problem with that film like there's a stigma with it because people consider it the scariest film of all time there's a stigma for a lot of people casual film goers to be like oh it's not scary it's not this but it genuinely is like i don't know it's such a subjective thing but it's not i don't know you don't have to for for you maybe you don't find it scary but you could still see how someone else could. Like you can't exempt the film of all its um, quality in being able to scare someone in that regard. If that makes yeah. any sense, I'm not too sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think, and then that's what bothers me when people say that about the Exorcist, because it's, it's almost like it's the the common thing to do and to say is to downplay the Exorcist for being scary because it's considered to be the scariest when it's so effective at doing what it's doing. And that's why it's scary. <laughs> and that's why <laughs> it scares people and why it's so effective. Because there's a lot of moments, I've said it before, I think even on this podcast, the moment with the, the flashes of the face, like the little almost subliminal flashes, flickers, that when I was young and I watched the film confused me so much and it freaked me out because I didn't know if I was just seeing that or if it was there. <laughs> and it was something so simple <laughs> like that. And there's loads of moments in that film. Because I remember earlier on this year, I went back and w- watched it again and kind of, analyzed it a lot more and then started watching the documentaries about it and mm-hmm. there's a lot in that film that's just so great and so well done and so well executed and that's why that film has just in my opinion stood the test of time in the way that it has and like you said the religious aspect of it as well I watching it again recently was that's what I pulled from it a lot more was the religious stuff that's going on there and how that would have made an effect and talking about like what we said earlier I can I would love to be in a cinema back when this came out and to see how people were reacting to it, seeing something like this, especially with all that religion within that, and how people were just com- surprised, it's shocked. a different time, know? wasn't it? And yeah, like, it, first time people would have seen anything like that, really, and it's, it was just done so well. It, it, I see it as like a big, a big kind of epic horror film. Like, it's it's got a lot to it, um, and it... it, it yeah, it's just got that, it's that classic quality to it. Like it is, it, in in my opinion, it's one of those films you can just define as a true classic, in every sense of that word. It's just a classic. Yeah, I'm glad you like it. Otherwise, this would have been a short conversation. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, it, it's it's one of those films which I really hope doesn't get remade. You always hear people say they want to, and I mean they did do a. Uh, Fox did a TV, a two 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 series of the Exorcist TV show, which was actually surprisingly pretty damn good. Actually, the first season's probably more so than the second. So you have, if anyone hasn't seen it, it's well worth watching. That it uh, it captures some of the original's qualities quite well, and there's a couple of you know mental twists in it. But yeah, I mean, I mean, I just love this film. Like Jason Miller as Father Karras, the way he, they portray a man who's lost his faith basically, 
and his struggle. He just the man looks haunted. He's just his face just looks like he's haunted behind the eyes and the prosthetics on Max von Sydow. The first time I saw this when I was a kid, I thought Max von Sydow was about eighty. Then I realised that in the film you know he's about forty. I, I didn't know until when I watched it a few months ago. I, I it didn't even. <laughs> it's one of those things I didn't register all the times I've watched the film. And then when I did 40, watch then, it, yeah, yeah, and I thought, wait a minute, because this guy's this is back then. This guy's like, for example, the last time I saw him, Force Awakens, <laughs> he looks huh? like Ben. And then when I was watching <laughs> it behind the scenes, they were talking about it. And I was like, oh my god, like, <laughs> and I seen a photo of him. <laughs> How he looked back then, and I was like, "Wow!" <laughs> like I just <laughs> never even, <laughs> never registered. No, it's just a, it, it, like the, the the makeup work on Linda Blair is awesome. And of course, you've got to remember this is a story about a girl who gets possessed, a young, innocent, naive girl who just wants to draw pictures of horses and stuff like that, gets possessed by a demon, and it's that side of it as well. And the mother's anxiety and grief because she's going through a divorce, she's moved away so she can carry on her acting career. And she's having to deal with all of that. So similar again to Hereditary. I mean, we think there are things going on outside of just the main story, which you know create this bigger piece. And yeah, it's almost like a domino effect. Like it's yeah, these outside emotions that are affecting the people, and then it's this supernatural element that's introduced into it, which is then gonna almost tip them over the edge. Yeah, and the both films, both films are slow burners. Which which create their sense of dread and tension and atmosphere so very well. They don't just jump in with the jump scares and jump in with the gore and the blood splattering or whatever. They take their time and they th- throw little things in here and there. Then you get a major jolt and then it goes back and it pulls you back a bit before we all hell breaks loose in the end, basically. So I can see how it was how they were compared. Um, and again, it just depends on what you took from each film. Whether or not you preferred one to the other, but they're both fantastic films. But obviously, for me, The Exorcist is number one in every way, shape, or form. It's just something I can rewatch, and I still get the creeps watching it now. And I I've think it's one it of those those films times. that gets it's it's the standard, I believe. Like all horror films, in some way or another, people will look back on The Exorcist, and you know, if you want to talk about a film that might be one of the greatest, you got to put it up against The Exorcist and and see is it really on that level like is that is that film the finding film of the genre like i think it's yeah i, I would say it is the defining film of the horror genre because i think anyone whether you know horror or not you know the exorcist you've heard of the exorcist you know about what that film's about and some maybe have heard some of the things that have happened even if you haven't seen it like it's just that film that's just uh, synonymous with the word horror yeah and if like we mentioned before as for me technically it's so perfectly done the performances I mean so many of them got Oscar nods for their performances so performance wise in a horror film is fantastic again the way it looks the story the atmosphere the ending work for me it every, everything I could have wanted this film to be it, it it is and it's still a gripping it's chilling a powerful film for me and it stands up today and for good reason because for me it's a masterpiece the second film was just mental but the Exodus 3 was very good I thought so if anyone hasn't seen that check it out because I believe uh, you've seen it and also enjoyed it especially that one yeah, scene I in the hospital it now. yeah it's it's yeah <laughs> that's one of the best kind of offbeat weird kind of horror moments I think the genre's ever had because it's 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 that it yeah that seems nowhere. weird um but the film oh, I like that film because it does it's it's once again doing something different with with the with the Exorcist story, um, 
in its own way, but it's a very interesting story that they kind of construct around that film. Yeah, whereas the second one just was awful. <laughs> it really was. It's, it's so bad, it's entertaining to watch. I didn't actually finish one. that one. I, I got halfway through and I got tapped out. I saw James Earl Jones dressed up as a leopard and I just thought, what the fuck, what the yeah, hell was this? It was shortly after all of that stuff, I just, yeah. And they say Richard Burton's just pissed and sweating the whole time. Yeah, it's, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's just, Richard Burton's just hammered throughout because he's drinking all the way through. He's just weird. through. It's just, the film just goes on and it's just the weirdest thing. It's just awful. It's, the soundtrack's fun. I like that, but and it, then he's some of the worst, that one of the worst, that I've, I've seen, I've flown this route on the wings of a demon. You think, what the fuck? What have you been smoking when you're writing this script? It's absolutely... That's the thing, like, how, how do you look at something like The Exorcist and follow it up with something like that and be happy with what you've just done? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. And be like, yeah, this is the thing to follow up The Exorcist. What we need is James Earl Jones dressed up as a locust. That will do it. Uh, well, who <laughs> thinks that? But obviously John Borman did, but, you know, he's he's still proud of the film, but, you know, whoever floats your boat, Borman, <laughs> it's bloody awful. Yeah. But, I mean, they, that's our top five. If you guys agree, obviously let us know. If you don't, politely let us know. But <laughs> it'd be, I hope you've kind of, I hope you've all enjoyed the diversity in the films because obviously we've got a modern film, you know, a month, a couple of months old film, right at the top for Terrell. It follows is, is only very recent as well. Then we've got some seventies flicks thrown in there as well, some kind of staples. There's a French flick in there. There's an Italian flick essentially thrown in there, or almost a Gallio inspired flick. There's some classics, so there's a bit of everything, and I'm not sure we didn't have any 80s. Oh no, Nightmare on Elm Street's an 80s film. I'm about to say, did we manage to miss out a whole decade? You missed out a whole decade, which might have been the most prolific one. (laughs) Exactly, the one people think about the most. But Nightmare on Elm Street. I mean, I've mentioned a couple. I mean, we could have had things like Scream in there just for what it did for the slasher genre. Yeah, Halloween. It's not my favourite film of all time, but you know, for what it did for the genre. Is there any cut? Is there any films which didn't make your list? Which what do you do to throw out there? I'm desperately looking at my shelf now, like which one? I know that I know there's <laughs> loads of them. I they're just not even coming to my mind right now. Uh, uh, <laughs> I can't think of them right now. It's a strong oh, there's a lot of the Italian ones. To be fair, like I said, that uh, I think Blood it's and Blood Black Blade. That's the title of one of them. I think that's the one I'm thinking of. But um, that one, yeah, that it, it was such an intriguing story. It was a, such a good mystery story, and it paid off very nicely. But in amongst that. And seeing it as an old film like that, you could really see, okay, if this is one of the films touted as the origins of the slasher genre, you can see it running all the way through it, like just the things that were so common now, but back then in 1960 or whenever it came out, no one would have really seen something like that. And it's it's so, it is always interesting to go back to the roots of a particular idea or subgenre to see where it kind of began and those influences and how those influences got taken by who we consider to be the great filmmakers now, and are pulling it forward, and yeah, it's just like say so when John Carpenter made Halloween, and you know things like that. I'd, I'd imagine he's probably seen films like that, and that's what's kind of inspired what he's then done, and kind of gets passed down. Then it's interesting. It makes me want to go back and well, I haven't seen it, so it makes me want to go and check that out. So a bit like how Barry Gordy started Motown, and look what look what that spawned years yeah. and decades <laughs> later. So God bless you, Barry Gordy, and anybody out there listening. It's the best genre of music. But uh, fight me. <laughs> so yeah, that's, our, that's our top five. And again, I hope you agree with it. I was interested to hear what Terrell said. And as usual, everything he said rang true. This man knows his horror. And 
well, he's got a passion for horror, which is seemingly <laughs> unrivaled. So, and that started when he was ten years old. And I don't yeah. believe he's clocked up any kills yet, but yeah. uh, there's a lot we you know. Who knows? Maybe if we go further on, we'll uh, we'll find out. But yeah. that is that for this episode of Death by Pod. So, uh, I want to say thank you so much for coming on to Real today and giving your list. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me as well. No worries. I mean, we'll be back in what four, five, six. We'll be back. We'll be back in a month or so's time with uh, it's another. Maybe a time probably oh man but <laughs> by the time we come on next we'd have had halloween we'd have had suspiria yeah, of course the yeah. film halloween as well not just the festival yeah suspiria i mean plenty of what there's an awful lot going on in the world of horror but in before that where can the world find you and your uh, plethora of activities on the internet so uh twitter and instagram is kind of where i'm most active and that's just at terrell graham um and then on my website terrell graham reviews which i haven't wrote a lot on there recently but i'll be getting back to that and then on YouTube as well with Terrell Graham Reviews. On SoundCloud at all? Uh, Actually not, no. Need to get yourself on there, man, because this man's got an alter ego. Check it out. Follow his Instagram <laughs> and you'll notice what I'm talking about. It's in, uh, and yes, yeah, I have I have checked it out and I do enjoy it. And I'm not just saying that. So check it out and you'll hear what I mean. But, um, Appreciate that. <laughs> no problems. I, I, I generally mean that as well. If you want to follow, if you want to check me out, what I watched tonight, you code at UK, uh, Facebook, finally back on Facebook after about a year. Twitter and Instagram, search what I watched tonight, you'll find us. And rather than list everywhere off, anywhere in the internet you can find podcasts, we're on there now. Anywhere, even on YouTube, we're on there now. So check that out. And I know a hell of a lot of you do. So thank you all for tuning in and listening. If you like the show, tell your friends. If you know there's people out there who like horror, tell them there's a show out there with two guys just talking about horror films. If you don't like the show, don't tell anyone because it doesn't help anybody. But um, <laughs> until next time, from me, it's Sia, and from Terrell. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. Hey, everyone. I'm Jonathan Burke, and I love movies. In fact, I love them so much, I can't stop talking about them. BurkeReviews.com features tons of reviews and a few podcasts that we call BurkeReviews.com MovieCast. You can listen right at the site, or they are available on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep watching movies.